0: Hey everybody, it's the segment of Hit Rewind, where we're going to talk about our action movies that came out every year of the 80s and 90s, and eventually one day, 2000s. So look off from the distance, kids. The future. So, uh, this episode, we're starting off with 1980, and my co-host is Rob. How's it going, Rob?
1: Hello, everybody. How are you doing out there today?
0: <laughs> uh, the awkward silence. We're, we're just giving you room to answer. Um, here's something... <laughs> When I uh, when I put this list together, we had trouble because action movies really hadn't hit the forefront yet. We're still going through yeah. the 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 seventies of Hangover, where it's a lot of artsy films, and you know sci-fi is just about to kick in. Action movies are more exploitation, so I think it's really hard to find some action movies worth discussing. And one of them I was completely yeah. wrong about until about two hours ago, which is fortunate because you, you never got to watch the movie it was Defiance with uh, Jan Michael Vincent.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally... Um, I meant to watch that, but um, I know it was on Voodoo for a while. And then when I finally went to check it, it was off Voodoo. I think the 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 free streaming version. And then the only version I was able to find was uh, a version on YouTube that's just completely in Russian.
0: Yeah,
2: so...
1: so- that was uh that was that
0: sadly yeah that will not come in i I swear to you though i thought it was 1980 but then i looked today and i was like nope 1979 so it doesn't matter um but another movie (laughs) uh that we'll be discussing in this is from 79 but it wasn't released in america until 1980 and that's mad max which is our loophole
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah
0: now uh of the three movies that we found that were more noteworthy to discuss and and the kind of thing i want to do is not just the big stuff kind of the forgotten ones, the independent action movies as we go along. And I think one of the ones that's forgotten is The Hunter. In fact, I had never even seen it before. You suggested it, and I was like, oh yeah, that's been on my peripheral for a decade, and I have to get around to watching it.
1: Yeah, um, I actually had that on, um, this this is going to show how old I am. Um, my family had that on Betamax. Whoa! (laughs) The teeny tiny cassettes! Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, just to put this out there, I, I, I love and I miss Betamax so much. I love that Betamax, you know, more than life itself. And I used to, <laughs> like, that Betamax really molded me as, a, a child. Whereas, like, like, my father was, is, is a huge movie fan. And he accumulated just a, just incredible array of different movies and genre on, um, uh, like just not only Betamax but VHS, and like I saw stuff like Last Dragon, Dawn of the Dead, Halloween, uh, Superman, uh, Enter the Dragon, Commando, First Blood, all that stuff in, in there, and that's where I discovered uh, The Hunter. The Hunter was actually the first Steve McQueen movie I, I saw as well.
0: Oh, wow. I've missed a lot of his stuff. Which is weird because it's I feel like yeah, I feel which like is there's weird. a lot that I've missed, and I've only seen like the classics. And uh, I'm glad you suggest this one. I feel like I need to go back and catch up on a lot more of his stuff.
1: Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's it's weird that that'd be the first one of his I've seen because it was the last movie he made, unfortunately, before his uh, untimely death. And um, yeah, like my father was a big McQueen guy. Like my father loved the the big. You know, tough guys of like you know his era, like McQueen and Coburn and Eastwood. So like it, it wasn't surprising that he had a movie like that in there. You know, especially especially considering now as an adult. Like I mean, when I used to watch it as a kid, I I thoroughly really enjoyed it. But um, as an adult, I discovered that it's considered to be his worst movie. Which I heavily disagree
0: with. Yeah, but you're talking like, okay, so it's like the way Thor, Dark World, is considered the worst Marvel movie. But in the Pantheon, right. uh, it, it's about the uh, the raised expectations. So Dark World, mm-hmm. if you consider with all superhero movies, is somewhere in the middle. I would say that with Steve McQueen is, yeah, maybe it's the lower end of his career. But at the same time, when you compare it to everybody else's careers, he had more uh, quality control, I think.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, and um, especially like with his resume, like you know the amount of classics that Steve McQueen has, you know, of course it's gonna, you know, it, it is gonna be seen on the lesser end of the spectrum, but um, on its own, I think it's it's a it's a damn fine movie, damn entertaining. I think the biggest complaint I could say about it, it, it doesn't really seem like a cohesive whole, as more of a series of events, and it's like, yeah, you know, but you know. McQueen was about putting on like you know those those crazy set pieces like you know if we could talk about you know that crazy car chase from Bullet the iconic car chase from Bullet and um yeah like I I I don't agree with the sentiment that it's his worst movie at all I really don't think McQueen has a bad movie like like as far as like you know like truly terrible I just think it's like lesser yeah but I don't think it's bad.
0: Yeah, I think the one hang-up I had, and it didn't really bother me, but I noticed in, in narratively that it kind of... You, you were saying it's choppy because it's episodic. It's based on a true yes. story, so you're just trying to summate. I almost wonder if it would have been better is if they had focused more on the main villain of Tracy Walter that you see at the end because you barely get any time with that it's like what 10 minutes of the movie is around that storyline and it seems like they could have had a, a couple adventures in the beginning just to set up the character and then focus on that but he, he but he has like eight different stories going on in one movie and it does feel more like a tv right. series or a mini series than it would uh, a, a two-hour movie oh yeah absolutely It. um
1: it's kind of just like, it's almost like, yeah, like, it's its own story, and it's like, you know, uh, it it doesn't really, like, fit in as as a whole, like, you know, it's almost like pieced together, you know, and I I, I guess, you know, that's kind of how, like, real life is anyway, you know, for the title title character, The Hunter, because it was obviously based on a true story, and, um, you know, so, like, I guess in situations like that when you're a bounty hunter and you, you, you're taking on, you know, different cases and searching out different perps, you know, it, it kind of has that feeling where it's like every day is a new adventure. So I guess that's what they were trying to go for. But like, you know, as a like, you know, cohesive movie, it doesn't really gel as well as it should. But, you know, entertaining nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about uh, the, the movie that was spun off from his TV series, Wanted Dead or Alive with Rudger Hauer. That is a right. very similar movie, but that has more of the pacing that I was discussing. But at the same time, that is not a better movie than The Hunter.
1: No, no, no. Uh, the I, I I I I'm a fan of Wanted Ten are Alive, but there are times where it really does drag. That's one thing I could say about The Hunter is uh, it does not drag. You know, you know, being that um, uh, I guess I mean I mean I don't think he knew it at the time, but it was sort of. Uh, that, that revelation that um, it it may be his his last film because he he did know that he was dying of of cancer um, throughout the filming of it so like it it, it seems like there was just this need to go out like you know on the on a bang yeah. with this one yeah, yeah you know and also you know one thing about McQueen I like is how he. I mean, he's seen as, like, this matinee, you know, the king of cool, if you will. Like, this matinee idol, you know, tough guy. But he always was, like, his performance was his biggest concern. Like, you know, he was the, the actor's version of
0: an action star, you know? Right. He's, he's, he's cool, but he's not cold. Some people disassociate... Like, especially when, you know, you know like, post-Matrix and everybody's wearing shades and leather and being ultra-cool in yes. quotation marks, that's not necessarily cool because they had no emotional range. Stephen McQueen was just able to contain it. He didn't, you know, go wild and crazy, but you could see what was going on behind the eyes without him just... Right. Well, he's not acting. You know, you can't see him acting. That feels like who he really is. Right. He, like, yeah, he was...
1: He was... Him and, like, Bronson, they were the kings of... You know, just less is more. You know, say less. You know, and just let the eyes do all the talking. You know, yeah. Like that 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 iconic scene in *Bullet* when uh, he's having his first big confrontation with Robert Vaughn. And Robert Vaughn is doing all the the talking, and, and McQueen is just like, you know, you know, you you believe what you want. You work your side of the street, and I work mine. And it's like, you know, that's all that needs to be said. And it, as even though Vaughn is doing most of the talking, like, McQueen is still acting circles around him, you know, not to say that Robert Vaughn is, is, is any great, you know, you no know, lesser, you know, actor, but you know, McQueen is just, was just a master of that, you know, just uh, the less is more technique, but um, he still he still, you know, put forth an effort no matter what, you know, the, it, like, one of my fault, one of my all my favorite movies uh and his favorite Steve McQueen movie is uh Papillon oh. which uh he put me on too. yeah, yeah i saw that as I, a I,
0: kid uh it's like a sunday morning matinee and uh, it's still i've only ever seen it once and it's stuck in my head to this day it's been maybe 35 years since i've seen it
1: oh yeah yeah i remember i i watched it because he 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 raved about papillon all the time oh yeah papillon papillon and i finally watched it and i'm like Wow, this is amazing, and you know, considering the fact that he was against Dustin Hoffman, who was red hot at that time, uh, McQueen was just, you know, just, you know, going tit for tat with him. You know, what I'm saying, And holding his own, and it's a just, it's just a really beautiful thing. You know, what I'm saying, this is this is why you know McQueen has endured for so many years. You know, and it's a, it's a shame that he you know he passed away as as young as he did. Especially with something, you know, so awful as cancer Yeah But, um, I, I think he left an indelible legacy um, behind And, uh, I, I think that, you know I mean, people may disagree But I think The Hunter was a nice little, you know Nice little just, you know, period at the end of, you know The sentence that is his career You know, especially, you know One thing I love about it is I love how he plays the entire movie against type. Oh,
0: totally. This is completely different than his usual performance. He's stressed out, especially with the fact that he has a baby coming along and the lifestyle that he's chosen is so dangerous. And he cracks under that. He says things that he doesn't mean. And that's not usually something you see in any of his characters.
1: Right. Uh, uh, That, I I love, I, I really love that. I also love how... His character is is a terrible driver, which is the the, the opposite of um, McQueen, who yeah. was known you know to be an ace race car driver and all that. And like you know, his his character is just like. Almost bumbling per se, you know. Well, yeah,
0: there are some comedic moments, and this is one of his. Though there are a couple serious action uh, moments in this, like the train sequence and the very finale uh, end with Tracy Walter. There are stuff in there that's yeah. really funny, and it feels a little bit like the action movies around that time period. If you think like where Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds were going, it seems like there's a small influence of that, where you got the hillbillies in the in the uh, fields, you know, doing the tiller chase or whatever you want to call that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's got the one where he takes on the big uh, beefy guy. You know, he tries to take them out with a little sock thing. Or what, you know, launches a big uh, sandbag at him. And that's comedic mm-hmm. in tone because it's so over the top. This almost feels like, I know there's a lot of movies devoted to stuntmen around this time. But this doesn't seem to be about it. It seems to be a love letter to stuntmen. It's, it's not really Steve McQueen patting himself on the back. It's more of he goes, I love stuntmen. I want to show them off and I want to have fun with them.
1: Right, right, right. Which is which is totally in McQueen's character. You know, he um, he was always um nice, nice little tidbit um the like you know to to push that point home the kind of guy McQueen was. Um, when he he showed up on set, they 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 showed him to uh, a nice you know prissy whole high price hotel, you know because you know he's a big star, you know. And then uh, as he's checking in, he finds out that the the, the rest of the cast and crew. A Hold up in this kind of Rinky dink hotel And he immediately checks out And goes to stay in the rinky dink hotel With the rest of the cast and crew You know which shows the kind of guy he is Like you know he just He was kind of like the really the working man's Actor you know like yeah you know He collected big paychecks but He was really more uh, he, he resonated with the, the working man you know the little guys You know the guys like you know the stunt guys So it's obviously he would you know Acquire more to them and want to show them off You know more you know To the audience that, that we You know we wouldn't be able to see On to a lesser extent you know with A uh, a different kind of actor You know that's just McQueen as a whole You know what I'm saying that's that's Another reason why he's endured for so long
0: Yeah and one thing that's controversial about this and I think might have helped it is the original guy hired to direct it and ended up getting credit for the, some of the screenplay is Peter Hyams and I guess there was a disagreement he got fired and Steve McQueen wasn't allowed to make himself the director so he just went and got someone who could shoot fast and quick uh, buzz Kulick I think is his only theatrical film. Yeah. And I don't really think that buzz has an eye for big screen cinema.
1: Right, you know, and um uh, I, I know uh, uh, Rumor ha- Rumor has it That McQueen Was actually The ghost director Of a lot of it You know Where he was You know Basically giving Like The like You know Direction and stuff Like do this Do that Mo- Similar to what Stallone did With uh, George Cosmatos On um, uh, First Blood Part 2 And Cobra Yeah I heard he that About Tombstone just too That him Kurt himself.
0: Russell Actually directed Tombstone But I'm not I'm not sure if that's true Yes 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 I
2: as as, as
1: as a matter of fact, I, not only I heard that, I heard that um, when the original director was fired from Tombstone, it was Stallone who recommended Kurt to, to Kurt that he hire Cosmado's for that reason. Okay. Because uh, you know the Directors Guild wouldn't allow Kurt to direct it. Like, basically, the the Eastwood, the Eastwood rule, as I remember, because uh, Clint Eastwood did that on the Outlaw Josie Wales. After the original director was fired, and then he directed the movie. So, uh, director's guild rules prohibit prohibit an actor from taking over for a director, and um, they call it the Eastwood rule.
2: Hmm.
1: So, that's why that's why you had a lot of um, uh, directors like that who took over. But it was really like the actor, the the star in charge, who was really directing.
0: Gotcha. That, that explains things like Buddy Joe Hooker, and uh, who's the guy who did... Um, uh, dang it, he did Rad and Smoking the Bandit, Megaforce. Oh,
1: um, um, um... Oh, I oh, forget his name it? is the tip of my tongue. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> this is man. terrible. Um, I, I know, right? Like, this, this is the all right, I'm going to cheat. We're supposed to be experts
0: at this. I'm going to go, look, gosh. Um, but that that seems to be a thing where those guys would get hired they didn't seem like they really had the skills but a lot of times they would hire stunt guys to do movies just because it was cheaper or special effects guys it was cheaper to get them for both than it would be to hire one for each like you know like uh, Stan Winston with Pumpkinhead or Mick Rogers with uh, Universal Soldier 2 and um How need them
1: How need them Thank you
0: Thank you Need him, you got him. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's that's how we work. It's fine. I don't mind being interrupted at all. Um, (laughs) But I highly recommend this movie. It is not a terrible movie. No, it is not Great Escape, Magnificent Seven, uh, The Getaway, stuff like that. But it's still better than most of the action movies of this era. Right, absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's tailor made for anybody with a short attention span too, because you don't like this story. Wait ten minutes; it'll be a new story. And also, also, um,
1: if you're a fan of LeVar Burton, uh, oh yeah, you know, you, you you might appreciate it because we have a very young LeVar Burton in the movie. He has a he has my favorite line in the movie too, when uh, McQueen handcuffs him to the steering wheel and don't go away. No shit.
0: <laughs> you know what I like about <laughs> his character, though. I like about his character is that he's the anti Dirty Harry. Everything he's kind to people when he when he's given the opportunity. Of course, there's some guys are tougher than nails, and he has to be uh, rough with them. But he's not, you know, that uh, no bullshit kind of mean aggressive. And and a lot of these movies had that subtle racism in them, especially the '70s movies. And this one skirts all of that. Like he's friendly with people. He gives a shit. Uh, If you're fair Mm -hmm. to him, he's fair to you. I, I really enjoyed that part of the character. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, but
1: like like, like we were saying before, I think that's just more of a reflection of McQueen himself than anything. Yeah. Know? McQueen was just that kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? You're kind to him, he's kind to you, you know? And, and I, I could see that just, you know, like being
0: something that he was very for, you know what I'm saying? So Yeah, he's uh, more like a James fact, Garner, think, in my opinion. Like the, the all American, just nice guy, not the, the, the greedy, just talking to his teeth kind of thing right right McQueen's like the like
1: like my father said himself McQueen seemed like the kind of guy you just hang out with and have a beer with you know you know to sit down and just hang out you know watch something on tv and have a beer with him like he's that you know just that all-american cool guy you
0: know yeah it's uh it's a it's a good movie it was on crackle the last time I checked and thank you for that recommendation yeah it's still on there um and our next one is Mad Max. That one if you haven't seen it, yes. why? It's so easy to find. I got the Blu-ray off of uh, Amazon from Shout Factory for like 6.99. Uh loaded with special yeah. features. Now this is this is the questionable one. Technically it did come out in 79, but that was in Australia and it took right. a while for what was it, AIP I think picked it up and re-edited it and mm-hmm. then put it in theaters in 1980. I think it was like February of 1980. And who knew? Of all the post-apocalyptic movies, that this would be the most influential—a three hundred thousand dollar post-apocalyptic movie. <laughs> yeah. with Australians,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, but before we get
1: into the movie, can I just say something real quick? Sure. Um, all the people out there, you know, who miscategorize this movie, uh, I just want to tell you, stop. This is not a revenge movie. Stop calling it a revenge movie. You're ruining the movie for everybody else. Because when you call it a revenge movie, you have to give up why is it a revenge movie. And when you do that, it's a spoiler. Because the reason why you consider it a revenge movie, that plot point happens in the last
0: 15 minutes of the movie. That's a spoiler. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, also, is it technically a post-apocalyptic movie? I feel like isn't this technically before it happens? So we can't really Right,
1: it's it, 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 it's it's more like a post-civilization movie. Where it's like it, it, like it, the apocalypse hasn't really happened as more as like this like civilization is collapsing. It's not it's not civilization isn't dead yet, but it's dying. It's in its death throes. You know, like there's, you know, the the main police force, you know, which um, Max, uh, our main character, Max Rokitansky is a part of, he like you know, they're holding on to the last bit of like civilized, you know, you know world, and it's just like you know, it's 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 the last grasp, but it's like the world as it is going to become in the next movie, that's taking over, and it's basically just like you know, beating a dead horse. But they're trying their best
0: to hold on to like that civilized world. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the old west in reverse because it's like the frontier yes. is breaking down instead of building up, and these are the last of the sheriffs that are holding, you know, keeping the uh, the the rascals at bay. They're trying to keep the it, it's um he's like a Wyatt Earp, and the the crazies are you know the cowboys in Tombstone. Right. Dumb... That's that's
1: that's the one thing I love about the movie because, like you know, like like you just said, like he's white, like he's like the white earth. But in a sense that, um, although he's a lawman, it it, it becomes harder and harder to differentiate him from the gang. And excuse me, that's Mac's biggest deal is that while like you know everybody else is you know kind of has like you know like a little bit of civilization left you know and he he's trying to hold on to that but it, it it becomes more and more apparent that he's closer in in spirit to what the gang is and that's what he's most afraid of you know he's most afraid of realizing that realization that i'm just like them you know the these crazies who you know who control the road And like, you know, he has a family, you know, he has a wife and he has a child and like, you know, this is his, you know, his sanctuary, but he's becoming closer and closer to what the, 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 the gang is, you know, these marauders and that he's trying to shy away from that. But like, he's just becoming closer and closer until, you know, the, the change happens and, you know, he, he loses that sanctuary
0: and then he just becomes one of them basically yeah that was his anchor to a normal life and when that's gone right and it's more than just yeah and i mean okay we can ruin this i mean come on if you haven't seen it just stop now pause this go watch something we come back but you know it's the, yes. it's the steps too it's 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 the first thing is that uh the violence is getting out of control and people are getting killed in the streets that's the first step where he has to up his game And uh, B is is losing his partner, his best friend, and then his wife and child are killed, and that's when everything's just let loose and nothing else matters. And this character is still wildly different than the ones that you see in the sequels because by the end of this movie, he is completely dead inside, and you see it build up back again through the sequels. Right. Like, like you even see
1: it from the, the type of person Max really is from the first scene when the Knight Rider is is going on his rampage and the other cops are trying to keep night rider at bay and they can't so the last resort is is max max is kind of like cobra where you know he's like you know when the 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 other cops can't handle him like he's the last resort you know like oh call max you know <laughs> with
0: and 99% not... last cutting pizza with scissors <laughs>
1: right <laughs> totally
0: totally but um,
1: Night Rider is running circles like you know he's like you know he's all screaming I'm the Night Rider, and like he's running circles around the around this this police force until Max you know gets into the to, to the chase and then he he just cannot outwit Max and then he's he's sobbing you know what I'm saying because and that it, that's basically showcasing this is why George Miller is genius because he's showcasing right up in there Max is basically one of them, you know, because he can't shake Max, but, you see when Knight Rider crashes, and he blows up, and he dies, that Max is is kind of taken aback, like, oh you know, like, that's that realization like, oh shit, like, you know, I'm you know, I'm still kind of, like, rejective of this kind of whole madness, you know and he goes home, and he's trying to settle down, and he's trying to recollect you know, and over the course of the movie like you said Like you know with the death of his best friend His partner Goose and all of this that's happening It's kind of like you know He's kind of almost trying to reject That notion that I'm I'm basically You know falling into this Trap where I'm going To become one of them So like I'm just going to get away You know I'm going to retire with the Wife and the kids we're going to go by the country It's going to be great you know we're going to live our lives We're going to be happy And like you know Life basically comes back as like No 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 Max No no this is what you signed up for This is who you're going to be This is who you are You know like life basically Is that painful reminder that You know you, you Signed up to be this You know this Violence this piece of violence In the world And You're not going to forget it And we have to remind It's kind of almost like Kind of Punisher Punisher in a way Right Every time he would have A shred of
0: hope It was taken away
1: Yeah absolutely This is why he kind of Rejects that Which is basically What Max becomes In like you know The World Warrior And Beyond Thunderdome And Fury Road Where he rejects Any kind of Personal relationships You know He's just You know The Just rejects that And this is this is why. Like, everything that he is in those, uh, the sequels, you know, it's it's basically documented why he's like that in this one. Which is why I never really agree with people, like, oh my god, this movie's terrible. You know, because it's... And it's like, I, you know what? It's, yes, the Road Warrior, we all love the Road Warrior, you know, the Road Warrior has that great tanker chase at the end, and I love it, but... In order to, to understand, like where Max is in those movies, you have to, you know, first know where he came from. Right, and that's why the Mad Max is so important. And um, to be honest, Mad Max is actually well, uh, uh, let me stop myself there. Um, it's my second favorite. Fury Road is just uh, It's actually my favorite Mad Max, and you know how could it not be because Fury Road is just amazing. Yeah, but um mad max it's it's just the the way it, it documents that just that complete fall from grace into this like um just this like depressive ending it's like the the ending is really a pirate victory um where like yes, Max has gotten revenge, he's killed everybody who who who's wronged him who's wronged his best friend his family but it's nothing to celebrate about you know because we've just witnessed the loss of of you know the last good soul in this world Max is like like you said he's basically soulless at the end of this movie there's nothing to celebrate about that
0: yeah it's but I think another thing you're saying that people think it's bad. And I think there's two big differences in the rest of the franchise compared to this one is there's a lot more money in the sequels, so you can put more mm-hmm. lavish uh, special effects and stunts. And two, it doesn't, it hasn't fully dived into what we, what was the trend setting look of Road Warrior because what they did in Road Warrior in 1981 over there, 82 for us is. Insane, like, and so many movies for a decade would copy this look. In Mad Max, is its own thing. Nothing looks like it, but every every dystopian right. sci-fi uh, post-pocalyptic movie, especially the ones from Italy, were complete rip-offs of Road Warrior and Escape from New York. Oh yeah, so they're not as color. It's <laughs> not as colorful.
1: Right, uh, uh, Italy was was very renowned in ripping off the Road Warrior. I own all of them, uh, I think. To to bring my dad up again, I remember um, I was a young kid and uh, I didn't know any better at this time. So I was like, uh, like you know, in in referencing all the the post apocalyptic movies, especially ones like you know, like Nemesis in the '90s, which I was more accustomed to at that time. um, I was like, yeah, Cyborg, you know, the the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic, canon classic. A cyborg, yeah, Cyborg, you know, inspired all these movies. And he looked at me and was like, um, uh, The Road Warrior?
0: Well, you're not, not, no, yeah, I don't think right. you're wrong, though. Look at the two classes of post-apocalyptic movies. And you got The Road Warrior, but Cyborg is different. It clearly is different. It has a different tone, a different style. The sci-fi elements are unique and, and, and not like the way The Road Warrior is set up. Nemesis and Cyborg and Knight's and you know in Heat Seeker and stuff like that there's a decade of those kind of post-apocalyptic movies where they started introducing robotics and, and ships and stuff like that where it's not completely desolate yeah. where there's no resources it's just a mixture of like Blade Runner with elements of Road Warrior so th- I, you're not wrong right 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 right. Um,
1: that was like, like the, the, the evolution the of like the, the post-apocalyptic movie but um the, he he did have a point in saying that, like you know, all that was inspired by the Road Warrior, and um, but as as much as I love the Road Warrior, it you, you can't have the Road Warrior without Mad Max, and um, to quote um Rich, Rich Evans from Red Letter Media, he he's the one that said it best in, in his review of um the Road Warrior, on their show review, and that. Um, Mad Max is about dying, whereas the Road Warrior is about being dead. And that's like the perfect analogy right there. That, you know, I had I just had to put that out. Where it's like, you know, like, like I said, Civilization is dying, and Max is trying to hold on that last thread of life. And by the end of the movie, he's just completely as dead as the rest of Civilization. He completely succumbs to, like, you know, this whole, um, You know just way of life now Where he's just one with everybody Which is perfect when it picks up With um In the Road Warrior where it's just like Where Max is now And it's just like He's just like completely one of them
2: Mm -hmm. You know
1: And just uh, Another thing I love about the Road Warrior is that Um The way it ends like that Where um like just yes, the, the the gang, they come, they, they find his family, and you know, they they heinously murder them, and he goes on the rampage, and you know he like as you if you notice he kills every single one of them, like just fairly quickly. You know, like uh like all the gang, especially the toe cutter, the toe cutter dies fairly quickly. You know, he he gets hit by a Mack truck and he's dead, he's gone, like you know. In the blink of an eye, the one person he takes his time with is Johnny the Boy, yeah. which is the least threat. Johnny the Boy is, um, how do you say? Uh, he's like, I mean, he's not as—I mean, he's an asshole, but he's not a fucking asshole like the Toe Cutter is. If you know part of my French, no, no,
2: you know, no, Johnny the
1: Boy is Johnny the Boy is kind of like the roadie. Of this gang, where it's just like you know, he's he's there for like you know, the the you know for the you know just the anarchy, but he's not really one of them, as you see when they're forcing him to kill Goose, and he doesn't want to do it, like he's literally scared to to to, to do it, mm-hmm. and yet he's the one who probably suffers the most at Max's hand, whereas Max, you know. Uh, Max what what is it? He handc- like he handcuffs his foot to um the car and sets up this contraction that will blow him up in about five minutes and gives him the the ultimatum. It will take he leaves him the hacksaw and then says it'll take you ten minutes to hack through these cuffs, but it'll take you five minutes to hack through your foot and then leaves him at that. Which is which is obviously like, you know, the most heinous thing ever. It's basically saw level theatrics. Right. And you know he he doesn't give anybody else that kind of ultimatum it's just Johnny the Boy who is probably the least threat to Max like Johnny the Boy is just a little shit right but, but it is, is it it's, interesting it, that He he gives him a
0: chance though he gives him a, 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 the slightest of chance Right, but it's it, it, the slightest
1: of chance and basically no chance because we know Johnny's not going to hack yeah. to his foot to
0: get know, out of
1: this contraption. Let me ask you this. But it's,
0: it's, it's, it's brilliant what? how George Miller sets it up. Were you actually contemplating, like, okay, so if I'm in that position, I would, you know, okay, cut through your foot, cut through your foot, just do it, you know, grit or whatever. Like, you're almost on his side when Max walks away. That's a really interesting right. choice that George Miller makes, is that you're almost against Max for a moment.
1: Right, but it also is to show Like that change in Max That's, you know Whereas he like, you know He still had a bit of heart left And now by this point It's completely gone And Max is just as sadistic As just one of these You know, these these gang members You know, he just Max is just, you know Completely giving himself over To the other side To the dark side And just when, like, you know, he's driving away, he's leaving Johnny the boy behind, and you see that explosion, so we know Johnny's dead. And you see that look, like, as he's driving on the road, and he's just completely dead in his eyes. There is no soul left. And it's just like, you know, like, you know, in most vigilante movies, you know, like, like, yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people would be like that too, but it's just, there's no there's no joy in in max at this point you know it's just we're watching a man just completely give himself over to the dark side he's basically walked the path of the dark side yeah and you know it's just like like i said it's like really like a a, a pirate victory and you know it's 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 almost depressing you know cuz like yeah he's got revenge but look at him now he's he's just one of them you know and that's the that's to me is the brilliance of you know the, um, Mad Max is the destruction of a good man, you know, like just the the downward slide of this once good man who is now just he's just
0: one of one of them now. Right. It's not too different from the uh, the original Death Wish, where you see like just an mm-hmm. everyday Joe who gets broken down and it almost becomes a sociopath by the end of the movie. There is a heartbreak to it, but. Uh, it doesn't. I don't think the heartbreak works in Death Wish, but it works in Mad Max. And I think a lot of it is oh, the yeah, fact that definitely. Max is a young man. You know, he's just starting his life, whereas Paul Kersey is, you know, later. And we've, we're already conditioned to know that um, that he's a badass. We've seen Charles Bronson on the screen for twenty years, whereas this is Mel Gibson's what debut or his second film. Yeah, it was like it was like his second. Yeah, like he had a bit part, I believe, in
1: a in another movie previous. And, um, he, uh, yeah, I believe this was, like, his his first real role in the movie. The first starring role. And, uh, funny enough, he actually went in there to audition for a smaller role, and then they was like, uh, hey, 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 no, 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 let uh, come back, come back for, uh, come back for, we'll give you the lead role. You know, well, of course, led to this, you know, almost legendary career.
2: Yeah.
0: The, uh, I, you, you can't really watch the series. I mean, I know they designed it to be each individual one you can kind of watch on its own, especially with this one, because it was a $100 million hit worldwide, but it hardly made anything here. So when the second one came out, right. it got a, a pickup from Warner Brothers, they renamed it. But I still think it's critical, like you said, to understanding his journey.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like like I said, you you, you can't understand... Like, they try to do a nice little... Uh, okay, here's what you missed in The Road Warrior. But I think it, it, it suffices more to watch Mad Max... Before you watch The Road Warrior... So you can get that complete... You know, cap on the journey. You know? Because... To be clear... You know what I'm saying? Like... And, and I'm going to go into a controversial point right now... That... Mad Max is the only movie in the series... That's about... Max. True. uh, uh, Remember, a lot of people when Fury Road came out were complaining about, oh, it's not about Max. It's about Furiosa. You know, like, Max is just a side character in his own movie. And it's like, did you not watch The Road Warrior? Did you not watch Beyond Thunderdome? Where he's literally a side character in those movies, too? Like, he's the journeyman that basically leads us into these worlds. And, you know, you, you have other characters who are more prominent. In this story, Max is basically just our, our, you know, our entryway into these worlds. Mad Max is the only one in the series
0: that's about Max and Max and, and, and on his own. You know, in the the weird juxtaposition between this movie and our last movie, the stunt man is. This is about a wholesome guy who gets dragged down into madness, whereas and it seems to revel in it uh, towards the end of the movie is the stunt Man is about a guy who is crazy who's going to dive into more craziness and has to scratch his way out of the madness in order to save himself right yes absolutely and steve rails back holy shit they picked it good. I I, I honestly I've never met the man. I've never listened to podcasts with him. But if you were to tell me that's who he really was, and I'd be like, yeah, I believe that. He's so convincing. Is a guy really on the edge? Right. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, I remember. Um, I it was been on my radar
1: for 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 you know many years, but um, I didn't actually watch it until you recommended I watch it. Oh, interesting. and I um. The thing about Steve Railsback is like aside from his role in um say I believe uh a uh, Life Force, like um I had never seen Steele's Steve Railsback in a movie where he played a hero.
0: Right, he's notorious for this. playing the villain, he's never the protagonist.
1: Right, of course, because he's you know, Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, you know. Uh, So he's kind of been Unfortunately typecast As you know Playing the villain actor You know he was The Charles Manson I most prominently remember him As um The creepy sheriff In Disturbing Behavior
0: (laughs) I was gonna say that But I Um, thought that was too obscure
1: (laughs) Right 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 Oh I love Disturbing Behavior By the way Just to put that out there Um But uh So like I was like Wow like Steve Railsback As like you know Action heroes lead role, uh, but I must say he's he's downright amazing in this movie. Like he he really puts a great performance in this movie. Like, of course, uh, you gotta say he the 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 shining star award has to go to Peter O'Toole
0: for for this movie. Who is the devil? I, I, if you told me he was Satan, I'd be like, yeah, I totally believe it. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he,
1: he is absolutely devilish in in this movie. But uh yeah, Steve Railsback is just phenomenal. Like that whole scene where he uh he goes on a rant about um why he's on the... well um uh maybe we should like get into the movie before Yeah. Uh, so okay, I want to actually talk about <laughs> I
0: don't know if this technically counts as an action movie. I'm cheating a little bit, but it's about the construction of an action movie it has lots of action sequences in it but i think technically it would be classified probably under a black comedy
1: oh yeah 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 it's definitely it definitely fits like a like black comedy drama in the world. like there's a lot of dramatic moments but there's there's a lot of black comedy moments where it's just like oh my god like even the score like basically lets you know like yeah, you're watching a comedy. Yeah, oh, God, moment. what a beautiful
0: score. Unbelievable score. Oh, yes.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> the, the score is just wonderful. Like, it, it basically tells you exactly what what you need to be feeling at this moment, which, you know, the best scores are, are supposed to. But this one is just phenomenal. Like, the, the whole movie was I could see why Quentin Tarantino listed this as his favorite movie of uh, 1980. Uh-huh. You know, as you know, Tarantino, he's very, you know, particular about what movies he likes. You know, and like he's not afraid to, you know, I I know people like, oh, he liked this in nineteen eighty, well, but what about uh, *Raging Bull*? And it's like this is Tarantino we're talking about of course right. he likes it more <laughs> you know? well people forget you know? though
0: this was nominated for Oscars this was in the race and somehow this is one of those movies that's just been completely forgotten and I think part of it is is that it was an independent movie it was a Melvin Simon who pr- uh, produced it or whatever and most of the movies that he pr- uh, he paid for are lost and Stuntman for a while yeah. was really hard to find on VHS it came out from Anchor Bay then really hard to find again came out from, I think, Synapse on Blu-ray. And if you want a Blu-ray of that, it's going to cost you a fucking ton. So we found oh, this. Yeah. Uh, we cheated on This was on YouTube, I think. No, where did we find this? Yes, yes, yes. You know, that's that's that where I or, saw it. Or Tubia. But um, that's the only way. You can't get it with all the special features. And Richard Rush um, said this is the highest moment of his career. And he made a whole documentary, the same length, basically. A two-hour documentary on the making of this movie where he hosts every single... Aspect of how it all came together, and that's almost impossible to find because it was an Anchor Bay uh, special feature. So if you yeah. have those, hold on to them because I don't know if you ever see that again. And absolutely, he would. He, he only made one more movie after this. And it was a fourteen-year gap, and it's so surprising to me that he came back for Color of Night. What I'm thinking is. Bruce Willis was a huge <laughs> fan of Stuntman and said we got to get this guy let's pay him a shit ton and let him do whatever he wants and some people think Color of Night's a terrible movie I think it's an outrageously fun trashy movie
1: <laughs> Right it, 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 Color of Night absolutely knows what it is it, it knows it's a trashy movie and it plays it up to it like most famously though uh, Bruce Willis may have regretted that decision to hire Richard Rush because there's a bit of Full frontal nudity from The character of Bruce Willis in Color of Night And apparently that was a Stunt penis because Richard Rush Had determined that Bruce Willis Penis was too small To actually perform That scene himself. Wow,
2: so, That's an ego so,
1: smasher <laughs> Right 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 So it's like Yeah I want this guy to the director And the director comes in like hey can't do the scene Your dick is too little Oh <laughs>
0: Well, that he's very—he's <laughs> a very meticulous director, and he's—he's he's a guy who doesn't slouch. He doesn't phone it in. And I, what I've seen of Bruce Willis lately is that he wants a guy just to basically fill uh, fill it in, you know, and just have a stunt double do half his acting. And yeah. I, isn't this the reason why he got removed from Air America? Is that he was so meticulous that he was testing Mel Gibson's patience or whatever? And so they got him and the Carol Cole decided to get rid of him.
1: Yeah, yeah, that. Uh... That 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 totally sounds like Willis. Uh, I like he was you know he's just just well known for being uh, um, a monster to his directors. Like I mean as as Kevin Smith has famously detailed or infamously detailed about his experiences with Bruce Willis, where it's like you know. I know Antoine Fuqua you know the amazing director has refused to ever work with him again Brian De Palma has refused to ever work with him again and it's like how much of you know I, I think Bruce Willis is an amazing actor but how much of a ego do you have to have <laughs> what was to it? run Mark... off these amazing directors
0: I, I can't remember the name of the movie but Mark uh, Paul Gossler made a movie with him a few years ago and they asked mm. him what it was like working with Bruce Willis Precious Lewis. Cargo thank you he was on uh, set for three days that's all Bruce Wolves was on for that entire movie and he goes well how was it working with Bruce Wolves because I've had some trouble working with him and he goes he was in the movie that's all I'll say <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you're bringing your bridges with even Mark Paul Gosler you're just a dick <laughs> how'd we get here oh Richard Rush uh, sorry, everybody. That was <laughs> of it. Um, so the main plot of The Stuntman is, uh, and it's kind of mysterious. It's, that's also a thing. It's a comedy, but it's also a mystery because you don't know everybody's intentions for a long time. And right. you have uh, our protagonist is on the run, and the cops are after him. You don't know why. And he ends up on a movie set, uh, accidentally kills a stuntman, and Peter O'Toole manipulates and, and cons and lies for him so that he can use him as a replacement stunt man in the movie. And then it kind of mm-hmm. goes to the mechanics of how you make a movie, how you do stunts, whatever. And he has a relationship with uh, the main female, Barbara Hershey, who's spot on. She is great in this movie. And Peter O'Toole just tortures oh, yeah. them. He's playing with everybody. The thing is, is that Peter O'Toole is almost Richard Rush because Richard Rush is playing you, the viewer, with this movie. You never know exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. You
1: put it perfectly there. You know, um th- th- uh there 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 are times where it's like oh you know you know, like like the like the perfect example okay is the scene where he has uh Steve Railberg character Cameron uh dancing on the plane. Oh. and then like it simulates that the the plane is in a tail spin and it's spinning and then it's slowly revealed that oh no this is just another part of the filming where they, they're filming it on the wire and they're spinning the camera around and then you know they, they, they simulate that the, the plane is going to crash and then it cuts into a love scene between Steve back and Barbara Hershey and it's like this is the beauty of movie making right here where you could just play with the audience and you know play with you know just the editing and all that stuff and just completely take the audience on a journey and it's just like Wow, you know, this is like it was a moment like that where I'm watching it and I'm like, this is this is this is just why I love movies because you can just play with us like this, you know what I'm saying? And we're totally, you know, reserved to you, you know.
0: Well, and I think it's smart that he doesn't get bogged down in the details. He shows you stuff. Okay, so there's stuff like how he shows him how to do stunts, but there's character Mm -hmm. building during this. There's dialogue that's very interesting, and he's giving you more information that's needed for the rest of the movie. But he doesn't get bogged down in the details. There's two sequences which, that's not how you make movies, but narratively it needs to be that way. Where he's messing with mm-hmm. the, the people on the beach who are watching the war sequence from a distance. And they think there's been an accident. Mm-hmm. And and uh, accidentally killed some of the people, whatever. And it's just an, a, a fast edit, some of the fog dissipates, and it turns out it's a gag. And... <laughs> It's, it's Richard Rush's way of playing with the audience again, but also not wasting your time with endless details. And the same thing for when he's on top of the Hotel Coronado, which I've been to, and it's truly gorgeous. Um, it's, uh, it's south of, uh, uh, oh damn it, San Diego. It's, it's uh, Coronado is its own little island where we have to take a, a, a huge bridge, the scariest fucking bridge I've ever seen in my life to get to it. But... <laughs> Um, nice, nice. When he's on the building, though, and, and he's doing the, the sequence, we know that's not how action movies are made, at least now in our <laughs> right, game. Right, but, but right. But there's no way to tell that story in precise detail, or it would, the movie would be four and a half hours long and no one would give a shit.
1: Right, like, like I, I remember thinking to myself, like, no no... Director in their right mind would actually shoot a scene like this, like where a one continuous shot where he's like, you know, just going through like, you know, these all, all these squib explosions and you know, fighting all these stuntmen and all like this. Like, the amount of pre planning to accomplish this in one shot would just take like weeks and months. But I, I'll accept it because you know, it's telling a story.
0: Right. You well, know. I mean, that's, back then that was impossible, but we've seen it a few times now with digital video and CGI. Oh, yeah. You can do that. What was it, the JCVD, where it opens up with a five-minute action sequence? It's one long shot, and that's that's something yeah, that's yeah, only capable of doing the last decade. Right, and, and um, I think they just recently did something like that
1: in uh, 1917, where like they had a one-shot, like you know, with, with this just explosions and the. And battle sequence going on and stuff like you can accomplish that in like you know nowadays you know with you know digital effects and all that stuff and you know advancements in filmmaking but back then it was just you know you've been insane to have tried that but um that's that's not i mean the the filmmaking is one thing but it's not really the point to, to show like how filmmaking actually is it's more to tell the story so it, it works you know, perfectly mm-hmm. in, in the context of the movie itself instead of like you know, just being like a
0: step-by-step in how filmmaking works. And I love the fact that Peter O'Toole's character is manipulating everybody to get the emotions that he oh, wants. Yeah. The fact that he shows that video uh, or the dailies or whatever of Barbara Hershey having a sex scene to her parents and then tells her about it so that she's ready yeah. to cry during the sequence – or how he's constantly fucking with Steve back and he doesn't know if she's really in the trunk, he's freaking out, he might die, are they setting him up? You don't know either, as a viewer, if they were setting him up to, you know, oh, well, he's a stuntman who accidentally killed somebody, so now we need to erase that evidence too, or it could lead back to him. And you never know, did he set me up to drown in this car? Is that what's going on? You don't know as a viewer
2: right
1: absolutely like it, like perfectly like it's just the perfect manipulation of your audience like you know the, um like pure hitchcockian in itself you know where it's like you know you th- th- this guy has you you know from the onset and he's going to play you for everything you know and it's just it was just so so perfectly done where it's like you know that, that scene where it's just like you know, I mean, in any other movie, he'd be considered evil. But like, you re- oh, he's just a director. you yeah. know <laughs> the, the, the Directors are like this, you know. What I'm saying, well, you know, uh, uh, egotistical directors are like this. You know, like Cecil B. DeMille style, like you know, from that old school level of directing, where they're just very manipulative of their actors. Where like, uh, or like William Freak and, you know, who famously slapped. the uh, the The priest on the set of The Exorcist, just to get the right reaction out of him. <laughs> Is that from? Yeah, like from that level of filmmaking, where it's just like they manipulate you and they just fuck with you to just get the right shot, just to get the, their their version of the perfect shot. You know, he 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 purposely like you know he makes it seem like oh how did that footage how did it get in the dailies? You know where. You know she's filming this love scene, you know, which is obviously private, but he shows it to her parents. You know he did it on purpose, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And like the way he he reveals it to her, like, "Oh my god!" I don't know how it got in there, but they saw it. The shame, the shame, and she's just so embarrassed, and she's just so mortified and humiliated that she starts tearing and you know that's exactly why he did it
0: yeah it's insane well you know, there's legends of Wes Craven manipulating Drew Barrymore in the set of scream because she wasn't scared enough or upset enough and he told her all these stories about how they treat animals in labs and stuff yeah. like that and it just broke her and that's the kind of I mean not necessarily evil but there's something a little wicked about how you can manipulate your, your cast like that
1: yeah 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 Like, like you know Like the perfect terminology would
0: be fucked up. Well, and what I enjoy, and Steve rails back. This is his liveliest performance and maybe most enjoyable because um, he's playful, he's funny, and and he likes going uh, one on one with Peter O'Toole's character, and and they're so good together because they don't really hate each other, but they know who they are and how to manipulate, you know, how to control each other. Because by the end. Railsback is almost in charge. He's like, you're going to give me my $200, which I thought was kind of lowball <laughs> for doing the stunt. No, 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 no. It was 1000 it, it was $1,000. Thousand. Okay.
1: He, he tried to lowball him saying, oh, no, you only get 650 He said, no, they, they promised me $1,000. you are going to give me 1000 Oh, maybe $750. you are going to give me
3: my
0: $1,000. <laughs> but he's, he's finally in charge in a way because he's not backing down. Yes, Peter Tools not right. still not agreeing to it, but now I think he's found an adversary who's ready to go ahead on, uh, you know, to go take him on. Right,
1: right, right, right. You know, he, like, by this point, he understands, oh, you know, at, at first he was like, oh my God, he's trying to kill me. Like, you know, what is this? You know, and then by, by the end point, oh, this is just movie making. This, this is just, you know, this is the way they live their lives. You know, this is their livelihood. This is what they do. Yeah. And he, he finally understands. And it's like, you know what if that's what it's gonna be pay me my money you know <laughs> I don't care what just just give me my money it's almost kind of like the opposite you ever uh what was the burt reynolds movie uh hooper i was know of the movie, movie but hooper? i haven't seen it um it's it's kind of like it's kind of like that well well different whereas um burt reynolds plays the aging man and Jan michael vincent plays the, the new guy who's coming in kind of like, you know, take a job. And there's like an eco-maniacal director in there as well. And like, they have to do an insane stunt, you know, by the end of it, you know. But at the end of that, you know, not, so, not to spoil it for you, but at the end of that, you know, Burt Reynolds, he gets pissed off and he slugs the director. Whereas, at in, in the end of this one, um, Steve Railsback's like, you know, oh, okay, I get it. Give me my money then.
0: You know, like, <laughs> I'm not about to give me Give me my damn money. <laughs> I almost wonder if Steve Martin had seen this movie, because Bowfinger is very similar in um, a lot of the bits and pieces of how they can con and lie and manipulate, but it's much, much sweeter and much goofier. Right, 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 absolutely.
1: Um, I love Bowfinger, by the way. Bowfinger is is, is one of my favorite comic. i'm still waiting for Not chinese personages fa- too i'm <laughs> just waiting
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's fake personages I, uh... too
1: <laughs> sorry right um it, it's also like one of my favorite movies about filmmaking is Bullfinger. that and uh ed wood um but uh yeah i, I can see what I, I can see what you mean like that where it's like you know just that level of just you know into and out of uh filmmaking, uh, well, you know, with, with, with uh, Bowfinger, you know, on the low budget, you know, kind of, you know, independent, you know, spectrum of things where, and, and um, the stuntman is like, you know, it, he's, he's shooting this big budget World War One war movie, you know, and, uh, you know, it's obviously, you know, I... I, I I, I laughed at the part where He was like Why is this World War One Anyway
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: No one cares About wait, wait, that he, war
1: <laughs> Yeah right Like he's complaining To uh, the screenwriter Who's played by um, Chief Lutz From Beverly Hills Cop Oh right yeah <laughs> that, I, I wait, kept he, thinking of
0: that Every time he came on screen <laughs> I think he passed away today Isn't that Alan Garfield I think he died today Oh uh, did he? Someone said, rest in peace, Alan Garfield. I'm going to look, see, right now. I was going to look it up before I recorded, but I'm pretty sure he's the guy from... Yes, he passed away. To... Oh, son of a fucking bitch. Not to bring it down, note, but he died of the virus. He was 80 years old. Oh, man. my God. What a great fucking actor, man. Right, let's let's just take a moment of silence to praise the the wonderful talents of Alan Garfield. Absolutely. Oh, my God. He, in Beverly Hills 2, is probably his shiny moment, but he's great in this, too. Um... We, oh yeah, we've we've hit an hour, so it's probably time to head out, everybody. Uh, Rob, you want to plug some things before we go? Oh sure. Um, as you know, I um, uh,
1: you you can find me on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as the Cinema Drunkie, and you can find me on Twitter as the Cinema Drunkie. Um, you can find my writings on Extraflix com, House of Torture Souls, as well as um. UltimateActionMovies.com. Uh, you can find me uh, on various uh, podcasts, as um as this one, uh, your previous podcast Trash Cinema, as well as um the Jacked Up uh, Review Show and uh the House That Screams, a horror podcast, and my upcoming podcast uh, Big Beard of Brooklyn Bros on the Bridge. A Star Trek podcast.
0: God damn it! I love that name. I love that name. I remember being there when you were like bouncing ideas around, and I was like, "That's it!" Right, right,
1: right. right. <laughs> you, you were, you were the one that. Uh, Did I? You were the one that just that, that put the flower on it because oh, I didn't remember. it was just going to be a big band of Brooklyn Bros on Star Trek, and you was the one that said you should call it "On the Bridge," and then it was like, "That's it. That's <laughs> it right there."
0: Tells <laughs> you how short of a memory I have. All right, so everybody, we are Hit Rewind podcast. So find us everywhere, you know, you, you get your, you know, podcast addict, iTunes, stuff like that, and our next episode, uh, we'll, uh, well, okay, Hit Rewind's weird, it's a mall it's a variety sh- show, so we're having music and comedy bits and all sorts of different things as we go through the years. We're going with eight, 1980 on up, so our next one will be 1981, and, uh, oh my god, I'm looking at these, Rob, the action movies in 1981, we got Raiders of the Lost Ark, we got Escape from New York, Southern Comfort... Nighthawks. Does that count as an action movie? That's more of a thriller, but maybe. Um, I I, I, I think. think. Ooh, ooh, Death Hunt. Oh, yeah. I love Death Hunt. I haven't seen Death Hunt in a while. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing any other good ones here. A lot of this. This is before action movies really broke out. And uh, so a lot of it's, you know, imported movies and very, very low-budget movies like Force 5 <laughs> and Night Riders. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts. Night Riders isn't really an action movie. That's more of a pensive character study. But those are a few choices we'll yes. have for the next episode. And everybody, thank you very much, Rob. Thank you for joining me for this episode. No problem. All right, everybody, have a good night. And wash and your freaking hands! Movie. Absolutely. <laughs>
3: I like you better when you're strange Your eyes flash and the colors change I feel like when you're with me You're someone, no one else can see I like you better when you're strange You give me something I can taste But When you hang around with those boys Your charms go to waste I don't just want you for the things they do But hell, I want you for those Castle and old man parts I like my comic books and cheap guitars I'm not saying that we're written the stars but we fit on my favorite parts I like you better when you're strange when you're busting down the gates when you're dancing on their front lawn and you're suspenders and a case Strange when you're something short of sane. Whatever's twirling in your brain, it makes me wanna know your name. Don't just want you for the things they do, unless you want me for those things too. And I could love every part of you, but never have to stop and think it through. You like turtle wax and shaving scars. I like my jelly from a mason jar. There's nothing about you that's too bizarre To ever keep us apart I like you better when you're strange Your eyes flash and the colors change Feels like when you're with me
0: Everybody, it's hit rewind uh, this episode is going to be a mix of everything from that we have leftover from 1980 uh, we're gonna have like action movies in 1980 I think uh, comic books and anything I can't remember well, I can't remember people I don't I don't pay attention um, <laughs> my own show and I still don't pay attention no but this is uh, the starting point where we're going to discuss uh, basically the biggest hits uh, big top 40 hits of 1980 we've never you know you and I have never really covered music before have we
4: no, we am really. I mean, uh, back in like one of our old podcasts, we talk about like particular songs like that were big during that time or relevant to what we were talking about. That's about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, if you guys don't know who we are, we are from back in tunes. We did this for six years and we've done other shows. We have video nights and uh, uh, we did a short lived retro rock entertainment where we OK. We did discuss music during that because we would always discuss this, the, the anniversaries of stuff. So we did a KISS episode and I think a, um, uh, a couple Weird Al episodes and stuff like that. But this is the first time we're really diving into pop culture music. And so it's not going to be a lot of the cool stuff. 1980s is different. You know, it, when you look back, sometimes you have to wonder why a song was so popular. So we went through the top 100 songs of 1980 uh, based on the Billboard Top 40 and just kind of chat about some of the selections. And uh, I'm going to say this right now. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted jacob you weren't born until 88 right 88 or 89 it's 88 88 Eighty eight. Yeah. i was born in 77 and he knows more about music than i do i don't recognize a lot of these songs so you might have to walk me through this but let's start off the list with the biggest so- wait do you want to go for the biggest or the small? what do you want to do what order
4: and let's just go, let's just go down the list
0: okay uh, the number one song. This is the chart, you know, of what was the most popular song of the year, and the most popular song of 1980 was "Call Me" by Blondie. From,
4: do you know what movie it's from? Um, I've seen it in quite a bunch of movies. There was a scene the where it was used in *Bright of Chucky*. Um, really? Was there another bigger movie. Yeah. Well, well it's when from
0: it? it's from the soundtrack. This it was literally from the soundtrack. This song was based from *American Gigolo* with uh, Richard
4: Gere. Oh, wow. Hmm. Seems fitting. But yeah, uh, in *Bright of Chucky, when uh, Tiffany, you know, she's a doll now, but she's, you know, changing up her style and makeup, during that little montage sequence, uh, it's Call Me by Blondie. <laughs> and uh,
0: and I, th- I think this is like their biggest hit. They had a ton of hits at this time, but this is the one I think that's the most popular. What, what are some other popular ones you, do you dig of Blondie?
4: Heart of Glass was the one. Was that? That might be a bigger one. hit, actually, now that I think about it. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like I said, I've always enjoyed Blondie. I mean, especially as a kid, staying up. A lot of these songs I listened to mainly because, you know, my parents' influence. Um, you know, my dad, like, eight tracks, like, one of the songs they listened to. And staying up late at night, you'd see those, like, uh, music collections of all those, like, hits from, like, these particular decades. Oh, yeah. Uh, K, K- Tell was the big guys that did those. <laughs> Oh yes. And, and also VH1 and MTV. Yeah, VH1,
0: and they, big. Yeah. They would they would always revive stuff. You went you know see years after it, it was uh, on originally, and you know I was thinking we're doing the Billboard list now, but 1981 is when MTV debuted. We might alter this. I was thinking that we could watch some music videos from that time period because I think that those. Um, are more interesting because of the way they've aged. You know, what music videos look like in that
4: year compared to just like five years later. Right. Oh, God, yes. And then it got only more interesting and more interesting. And
0: (laughs) And the budgets would get higher (laughs) and
4: higher. They weren't shot on video. They were shot, you know, on
0: film, and the budget was really high. But I want to say this real quick. I missed the opportunity to see Blondie when they were touring with Devo up here in Portland. And I regret that. I got to see Devo the year before, but I would have really loved to have seen those two together. Oh, dude,
4: hands down, definitely. Uh, again, sec- just okay. no, no, uh, again, Blondie herself in particular, I mean, she started off in New York with that new pop-punk kind of uh, movement, like with uh, Talking Head. Yeah, and well, CBGB, I think, is the big driver of a lot of yeah, these and bands. Yeah, that's
0: what it was.
4: And... That's what it was called,
0: uh, I think I think she got distracted with acting, and then I think she went solo for a little while. But then you know they came back together, and they had that huge hit in uh, what was it ninety nine called Maria? I think it's what it was. Maria, oh. can't you see me? You're insane, out of your mind. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Wow. You know what's funny is I just I realized just... the first three songs on this list are all from movies. Another brick in the wall, of course, from The Wall. One of the most head scratching movies I saw as a, a teenager. It's so artistically brilliant. Yeah, it's... Um, employed, this, is, this is the only song that we play that's cool at work <laughs>
4: on a radio station. Well, it's an awesome song. Can't blame them. Yeah, it's just so
0: <laughs> it's so anti-establishment. It's shocking that it's playing in a corporate place.
4: <laughs> that is like, we'll stick it to you somehow. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. It's hey, we'll love it regardless. And... Um, <laughs> I was
0: thinking number three is from Xanadu. And uh, Xanadu is a movie I've seen a few times. Have you ever seen it?
4: No. And, I don't know, considering how – what it did to uh, – oh, gosh. Michael Beck. his name. Yeah, considering what it did to Michael Beck's career, I'm like, I'm scared. Well, here's
0: the thing <laughs> is we did a commentary on it, me and my sister, uh, probably five years ago when we first started doing trash cinema. And – um. It's absolutely entertaining. It's so joyful and so fun. But when you stop and think about it, none of it makes a lick of sense. I don't understand anything that's going on.
4: Kind of like with the Michael Jackson's Moonwalker movie. It's like, okay, what the hell's going on? Yeah, you know what's about. funny is
0: I have never seen. I've seen that one, but I've never seen the one before that Captain EO.
4: Oh yeah, it was Disney exclusive uh, video, I, I believe. I remember oh, okay. seeing it on Disney Channel.
0: Oh, was it Disney Channel? I, see, I always thought it was a park exclusive, but that leads us to our fourth song. One of the greatest songs by Michael Jackson is Rock With You. This Off The Wall album is my favorite of his.
4: Oh, yeah. It was his debut album as a solo artist, and man, he nailed it. Barry Gordy thought that Michael Jackson wouldn't do it better than Off The Wall. However, that it turned out to be...
0: I, I don't think he has. I think after that success is when a Thriller's good... I know, I know it's the biggest seller ever, but I just don't think it's as good as Off the Wall. But I'm also I have an affinity for funk and the disco sound and, and he turned more rock pop in the next two albums and then I, I don't even want to talk about the 90s. The 90s is, I don't really care
4: for. Yeah, there are a couple songs I'm like eh, I don't know. <laughs> oh no, rock My, rock My World when he came back, uh, that was a comeback from him in 2001 and Chris Tucker appeared in that music video as well. I guess it up. Uh, and then 2009, geez. His doctor assigned a propofol to the just to help him sleep. Yeah, it, it's so a sad, it's sad ending. Yeah, I know. I'm like, taking that particular medication to help you sleep is like uh, taking chemo because you're sick or sleeping in your head.
0: And our next song is, ironically, the opposite. It's a song that was really popular that got turned into a title of a movie called A Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen.
4: Yes, one of the best rock bands in the world.
0: Going going off the normal track with this song. This is more of a country ditty almost.
4: Yeah, it does. It does have like that country playing to it when you hear the guitar play. More acoustic, like ground level. Just very chill Yeah, Good night.
0: It's a, a sweet little song, and um, I don't know. It just It's so different. I think that's why it's so memorable. That and um, what's the one? Um, uh, damn it. Another one, Bites the Dust. Both of them were testing new. Well, actually, 1980 All Around was kind of a change of sound for them because they also did the Flash Gordon soundtrack, which was unique for them.
4: Yes. Oh, God, you're right. They did do that. Yeah. Right around 1980, yeah. This is when like, the funk, like, 70s, uh, you know, disco era started to dwindle and die down yeah and and the craziness of the 80s started to happen this was the very beginning man the uh it was just
0: the, the next one is coming up by paul mccartney i know this song i'm not a huge when paul mccartney's on his own i feel like sometimes he's too repetitive jet is one of the most irritating songs i've ever heard but i used to love But when you actually sit down and think about the structure of it he does have a pattern of repetition, but coming up is a little bit different. He also changes the sound, where that one is a little funky as well.
4: Yeah, it was a little funky, uh, not to mention a little, uh, quite upbeat, you know, but um, I think what was um, more alluring was the music video. He did to have a lot of fun with this music video. I have
0: not seen yeah, this it video. Fun. I, it's funny when you see music videos that existed before MTV. There's not many of them. There's only like, you know, maybe 30 videos that existed before that.
4: Right. Sometimes they'll just be like live performances. Like yeah, on,
0: uh, that, that or was time. typically. Yeah, that or it was, um, they just did it for themselves. Like Devo, they just did a short film and they would show it at festivals or before the concerts.
4: Right. And of course, MTV wasn't around yet, though. So like these just like broadcasting were just kind of random. But Paul
0: McCartney's so big that he probably got this on other TV shows.
4: Well, I'm Paul McCartney I'm one of the Beatles <laughs> I could have this spoon anyway
0: <laughs> I mean seriously you got Ringo doing a caveman movie I mean I gotta make my own little doodly-doo movie maybe shorter I don't have much well, time
4: do, <laughs> oh, I gotta do something to stay I gotta keep my career going too <laughs> um, <laughs> hey everybody still loves Ringo though for
0: what he is <laughs> uh, number 8 okay everybody We should be mad at the guy who will not take her to Funky Town. She's been asking for forty fucking years. Take her to Funky Town already.
4: Yes, by lip sync. Yeah, again, uh, as you know, again, one of the last great like funk songs going into the eighties. Do you remember? I mean, do you remember South Park when he did
0: the uh, when he's trying to get into the special headquarters to the game system and Towley? is typing in the code and they're like is that the code he goes no man that's the funky town song
4: <laughs> <laughs> God, the I've seen that I'll have to look into it but yeah uh, again this song you know my mom would listen to because uh, again she listens to a lot of everything like soft rock R&B actually she even got me into Biggie and Tupac man.
0: <laughs> that's interesting did you, did you just say yeah. you cut out a little bit did you say Biggie and Tupac Yeah. Really? Okay, that's unique. (laughs) Um, This song would get remade in 87, I believe, as more of a funky electro song, and that was also a huge hit. Oh, wow. Oh, dang, really? Yeah, I can't remember the I didn't know it got remade. Okay, well, it's in... Oh, damn it. Revenge of the Nerds 2. I'm going to look it up right now. Funky Town remake... I I just I huh. just played it the other day, but it's uh it's pretty fucking rad.
4: Yeah, I know. It's also one of my coworker's favorite songs. And, <laughs> and yeah, she definitely goes out. She goes all out whenever she listens to it.
0: Pseudo Echo is the name of the band. I'm sure you know this. Hold on a second. I'm gonna play it, see if it'll pick up. Well, if it would ever play, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Waiting, waiting. Well,
2: waiting.
0: nothing's happening. It's, it's not on mute. What is going on? Oh, forget it, then, you, jerk! Jerk. <laughs> oh, I know why. It, it won't play because the microphone is hooked up to the computer. <laughs> sorry, it's but but it, you gotta listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Um. Uh, okay, okay. So Billy Joel kicking. Just the 80s into high gear with It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. And I feel like this is the first time that he really got a faster jam. I feel like most of the stuff he did during the 70s was slower. More, I don't want to say folksy, but you know how you have the singer-songwriter kind of thing, the vibe going? Like Neil Diamond or Barry Manilow. This seems to be Billy Joel's like, okay, you know what, I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. You know, he would do this and Uptown Girl and... um, uh, oh, damn it, the world is turned, it was always burning. Oh, we didn't start the fire. You know, he, he, yeah. picked more upbeat songs,
4: exactly. Yeah, no, and then there was also, um, for the longest time, yeah, it's, uh, this is really when he became like the megastar, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, he, uh, yeah, you're right, he was a little bit, um, slower and more contemporary, softer, uh, in his early years. Now that I think about it, damn.
0: uh, But again,
4: like growing up, I always knew uh, upbeat 80s Billy Joel.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I think that's the thing that was more accessible radio-wise, especially in the 80s where I don't want to say that it was more um, happy and upbeat, but I think they sold us that concept (laughs) very well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Our next song is Escape, the Pina Colada song. And uh, I, for some reason, thought this was from the movie Arthur. It is not. That is, uh, what is the song from Arthur? Damn it, it's from Christopher Cross, not Sailing. Uh,
4: waking up in New York City.
0: You know it's crazy, but it's true. Uh, I can't remember, but that's probably in the next year. But Escape, the Pina Colada song, is the one where he's calling. If you don't know the song, you probably do. But it's where he's uh, oh, writing have- into a dating service and he's telling about his perfect date. And then he goes on a date with a person that matches all those things. It turns out it was his girlfriend in the first place, but he's cheating on his girlfriend? Know, how's that not fucked?
4: <laughs> hey, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what the song's about. It glorifies cheating. It's a little fucked up. But they, both up, they were both going to cheat on each other. They're both yeah. Healthy. It's
0: uh Tinder. <laughs> It's Tinder. Uh, the, the old way of doing Tinder was the uh, personals in the newspaper. Do you like pina coladas?
4: <laughs> you know, the first time I ever heard this song was actually from the movie Dirty Work. When uh, Chris Farley's about to pick Street Fight Man. But he the, pushes the wrong button. Oh yeah, yeah. The, that fight breaks out. This is one of those one-hit wonders.
0: This is another one of those okay. one-hit wonders. Like Lips Incorporated. This is the only song that Rupert Holmes was ever known for.
4: Yeah. After that, yeah. No, nobody even knew what he did after. Yeah. I mean, again, I thought it was a one-hit wonder, and it was used for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first uh, film.
0: You know what's interesting about one hit wonders, and we're going to talk about them throughout the show, is the fact that in my my concept of a one hit wonder, is literally you had one charting hit. And um, you, whether okay, you could be a top 40 technically, but Grateful Dead would be counted as a, to, uh, a one hit wonder then. I think that what it has to be is you have one song that really charted that everybody remembers, and no one knows what happened to you after that song. So like, let's say Devo. Technically, on paper, they have one top 40 hit. They had a couple others in the top 100, and they had a ton of hits on MTV and Alternative. And people, you know, had a cult following around them for years, and still to this day, I don't count them as a one hit wonder.
4: No, because I remember they did a cover of uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, uh, primarily from the movie Casino.
0: Yeah, the end of the movie. And I think the criteria is literally you have a song that got in the top 40, and then no one knows what the hell you did after that. That kind of thing. Like Gautier. You know, he did have a follow up single, but it didn't go anywhere. And um, uh, what's the, the the Macarena? I have no idea what happened to those people. Or uh, Louis Vega, uh, uh, the um, Mamba number five. That's what I mean I by a one hit me. wonder. You literally have no clue what happened to him afterwards. Or Eiffel
4: 65. Oh, boy,
0: yeah. Um, but the next one would, in a lot of books, be considered a one-hit wonder. But Gary Newman was a guy that was already established. He had a cult following. He was groundbreaking in that genre. And while he never had another top 40 hits, he stuck around for years
4: afterwards. And he became, like, the godfather of New Wave. Right, because a lot of them do tend to, like, work behind the scenes and produce and stuff like that. Just like, uh, um, oh, God. Rick Case. Uh, yes, but also the uh guitarist from she- From what band?
0: Chic. Oh, she- oh, yeah, oh Sheik. yes. What the fuck is his name? Um he oh, uh um, Roger. Yes, thank you. Nile's Rogers who is notoriously uh like a hit maker. But you're right, he was in a one-hit wonder band. I always thought that he was in um uh not Duran Duran, but um you know, I'll remember. It'll come up on this list later. Let's keep going forward. <laughs> We're going to be on this forever. Um, hey. But "Cars" is definitely one of those songs that just ja still works because of the beat he chose is so catchy. Da, 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 da. Wait, that's that's Funky Town shit. I just did that. <laughs> hey, I'm just doing Funky Town. Do, 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 do.
4: <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, actually, that was reused in a episode of Family Guy after Brian uh, breaks up with the girl, and then Stewie turns on the radio, and Stewie's just trying to, you know, um, you know, cheer him up, and just go, uh, you know, Brian had sex with a really dumb blonde, and now he's going to go and get some ice cream in his car. <laughs> uh.
0: Th- but
4: of course, th- Stephanie Farley being be the person
0: himself, so he's Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, number 13 is Smokey Robinson with Cruisin', and I know this song mostly from the remake in 2000 with Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow hey, from the Bomb
4: Paltrow. duets, which I, I actually own that movie. I mean, it, it looks like it's a cute movie. It is. Like, it should be like a, I thought it was an independent kind of film.
0: Well, it's borderline. It was an independent idea that was picked up after it was filmed by Hollywood Pictures. Just as Hollywood Pictures was going out of business, Disney decided to shutter that division. And um, I think it might literally be their last release, and they only
4: did it like 500 screens. But Paul Giamatti is
0: amazing in it.
4: Oh, dude, I never underestimate uh, Paul Giamatti. I've enjoyed him in pretty much every single one of his films I've seen him. Especially Cinderella Man. And there was one where he played that uh, comic book artist. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, American Splendor. That's what it was, yes. That too.
0: Um,
4: um, but yes, no. This, of course, is a song I listen to and put on my oldies playlist in the morning. <clears throat> it always comes up, and it's just one of the most soothing melodies I've ever heard. It is. He, well, he's known for songs that just.
0: Hey, people kind of overlook him. They just think he's the tears of a clown guy. But, I mean, it just, uh, he had hits here and there. They just weren't that big. But this, I think, was his biggest hit. And I just remember mostly Smokey Robinson was always the guy in those commercials about the albums you were just discussing. You know, when you see, like, a, oh, this is a paid commercial for the greatest hits of the 70s, you know, and he
4: would be the host.
0: Hey, this is Smokey Robinson for
4: Hits of the 70s. Yeah, no, that, when he started, he was so young, too. Oh, totally, yeah.
0: Um, 14, speaking of young and still around, which is shocking, well, sort of around, I went and saw the Spinners in concert a few years ago, and mind you, there's only like two of the group left
4: still performing, but they were amazing. They still got it. I mean, you know, might not have, like, you know, the... Hair anymore these days <laughs> well but, they, yeah
0: they've been slowly replacing so a lot of the members of the band are probably in their 40s you know they're my age so they just got some hair but um working my way back to you is uh was the big hit for them that year and this is kind of towards the end of their career because they were more of like you know the 70s funk
4: of course yes And i think they were like the last great band of the 70s yeah
0: more hits than you will remember it. They're more than just the Rubber Band,
4: which, uh, rubber
0: band man, which is probably their most successful song for our generation. Right. And then and I think there are, a, they do have another song uh, later on this list, but oh, we'll get to it? later. Oh, I don't know the next I song. I do not know this. We even had Air Supply in the car a lot, but I do not know the song Lost in Love. How does this one go? Do you remember?
4: Lost in love, man, I don't know much. What I'm thinking about. Da, 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 okay,
0: yeah. I, that's remember, all I remember. Yeah, I remember the song
4: now. Never mind. I just didn't know by the name. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, I know. Uh, again, it was, uh, was used in Family Guy when Stewie enters Peter's body to kill off the rest of the uh, sperm cells Because he does not want competition or a baby brother.
0: Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I, air Supply, yeah. to me, is the quintessential uh, Boner Killer. The soft rock '80s, but some people love them. I've never been a fan.
4: Yeah, no, it's just like one of those like uh, chill, like relaxing car uh, road uh, road trip kind of songs. You know, very mellow, chill, laid back. That's it. The, just uh... maybe hold hands, heck, it's a couple texts, but nothing <laughs> too.
0: It does seem like a, a junior high uh, dance song, you know, just, all oh, right, everybody, it's time to slow things down, grab a lady, and take her to the dance floor for some small, slow, slow dancing, and you're like, what, oh, air supply, okay,
4: <laughs> you like totally hold my hand, oh my god, do I
0: have stuck in my retainer, oh. <laughs> oh, man, oh,
4: yeah, but no, like I said, it's a cute song, it's pretty.
0: Uh, Little Genie is kind of the end for Elton John for a little bit because if I remember correctly in his biopic, amazing movie by the way Rocketman is truly a fantastic film Uh, I believe it's the last one for a while because that's when his career and his life started falling apart and I don't think he had another hit for like what, five or six years when I'm Still Standing came out and just knocked the doors back down and reminded the world who Elton John was
4: Absolutely, yes and Little Genie, again very cute song. Um, it's almost hard to find a bad Elton John song, really. It's it really yeah, it it it's, is. It it's rough. Up.
0: It's, it's. I mean, well, it's rough in the best way possible. <laughs> it's like Queen. It's hard to find a bad Queen song.
4: <laughs> exactly. And, again, it was just very nice, very, again, mellow. And he and his writing partner just, they just had that great chemistry. Uh, Elton John just came up with all the melodies and everything. He came up with the words. It, it was a perfect blend. It's like <laughs> a lamb and <laughs> we'll it get get
0: <laughs> uh, the next one is yeah. ride like the wind by Chris cross. And I think a lot of people forget that he had three or four top 40 hits that were big. And ride like the wind is my favorite because it's not as sappy as his other big hits. This one is a much faster pace and, uh, dun, 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 dun. I mean,
4: how can you not get a little excited by that? Exactly. Even just from the beginning of it. I, and this was used in so many movies. Um, well, one was the bomb, which was Dickie Roberts from a child star, David <laughs> Spade. I mean, that was just like that was just like a go-to song, you know, when he's like getting the part, you know. And then it's just also used at the beginning of uh, Anchorman 2 in the opening credit. So it's like, oh my god, yes, it's exciting. Well, it feels like exciting because yeah. the uh, San Diego news crew is back together. <laughs> uh, Eighteen Upside Down
0: by Dana Ross was one of I always say that celebrate by uh, a celebration by cool and the gang it was my very first favorite song my second favorite song as a child was upside down when i heard this i was just knocked to the floor and i hear today and i get so like nostalgic sad and i'm like oh yeah i remember when i first heard this song in the back
4: of the station wagon i loved it yeah i no, oh man dude it's just like easily danced to diana ross he is a queen for a reason Is this kind of the end of her,
0: though? I feel like this is one of her last big songs.
4: There's that, this, I'm coming out, and then there was, uh, oh, man. No, I'm pretty sure there was something else after this. Okay. I know she she collaborated with with RuPaul in the 90s.
0: What's interesting about about this list is it really does seem like it's the change, where a lot of these bands, this is towards the end of their career, and then you're seeing the revival of, a couple people but most of it just seems to be these are the new
4: these are the stars of the 80s that are coming out absolutely yeah this is again yeah a new shift this is when you see people start to shift i mean heck uh this next one though please don't go by casey and the sunshine band I'm like them go so soft and so slow yeah this is well not casey don't go. do
0: Well, maybe it's because I've heard the remake. They, they, I think they redid this. They did, redid their own oh. song, and they gave it a faster um, beat. And I believe it's on the Shaun of the Dead soundtrack, if I remember
4: correctly. I'll have to look into that. I'll have to rewatch that movie now, <laughs> just so I can know what that song is. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure. Isn't that the song he put? He, he puts on in the the jukebox, and it's like, who puts on this crap? <laughs>
4: Oh, yeah. I think so. Um, Casey the Sunshine Band is
0: another band I think people forget that they had so many hits in such a short period of time. They were like the kings
4: of the disco funk era. Oh, God, yes. I mean, that's the way I like it. Uh, I'm your boogeyman. Shake your booty. and (laughs) Uh, Play that funky music, white boy. Oh, yeah. That was Wild Cherry. But it that does was? pertain to Casey. Are you
0: serious? That was Wild Tree. Yeah. That was not Casey in the Sunshine Band. Son of a
4: bitch. Casey in the Sunshine Band did a uh... do a little dance, make it make a little love, get down tonight. Yeah, wow. they
0: did. I oh, well, I would have bet a hundred dollars at Casey in the Sunshine Band saying that. But also, I love to say Casey in the Sunshine Band. But like Sean Connery, Casey and the Sean Band. <laughs>
4: Can you imagine him like presenting them at a stadium
0: back in the day? Excuse me, I have to say this again. <laughs> Please don't go. <laughs> I'm not turning to Sean Carter, I'm Turn to something else. <laughs> Please
4: don't go. case the sunshine <laughs> um, oh, I man.
0: remember the song, but I can't remember how it goes. "Babe" by Sticks. It seems like a sappy song by a kick-ass band.
4: Yeah, no, it was definitely sad and kind of like you know moody down he goes babe i believe it and starts off with like a oh god synthesizer kind of tone keyboard and it was used in again this was used in anchorman 2 uh at brick's funeral when they're getting the band back together and then uh brian uh paul rudd's character was like oh you didn't hear brick dead and then it cuts to that uh and then it cuts to the funeral and that's the song that's playing <laughs>
0: Right before uh, everybody
4: finds out he's still
0: alive. 21, I I do not know this song. With you on Born Again by Billy Preston and Cyrita. I don't know any of those. You just told me names I have no recognition of.
4: Yeah, some I felt like, okay, I accidentally added those in. I'm like, huh. You're no wasting my time! Ah, no, okay. <laughs> okay, so sadly we don't know of this. Okay, yeah.
0: sorry everybody. Um, edit. Um, 22, though, is one of the greatest songs ever, and it ends a movie that I absolutely adore. That was a huge flop that nearly derailed Will Ferrell's career, and it's semi-pro. I love, it might be my favorite Will Ferrell movie because it's so underrated and so silly, but it ends with Shining Star, and it's so positive and so much fun.
4: Absolutely, of course, and by the Manhattans, when, they, when their biggest hit was Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye which is one of the most heartbreaking songs ever and then boom Shining Star's like aha we can make you happy now
0: wait am I thinking the right song yeah. no matter who you are Not you're a shining star. star do 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 right
4: oh no no, no, different, no, no no different song
0: son of a bitch it's a different shining star yep that isn't the funk song no matter who you are you're oh. a shining star da, 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 da. okay how does it go Oh my god. I'm your shining star. Is it that one? Oh, you. You're my shining star. Is that the one? That's it. Ah, fuck. That's not my favorite song. What do I think? A shooting star, maybe? (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) It's a (laughs) fine song. It's just not the one I thought it was. I got so excited. I just can't hide it. Oh no, oh no, oh no.
4: (laughs) I love the Manhattan still. And then, of course, next song. Next song. Moving right along. <clears throat> Move
0: right along from the Muppets movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> but fancy. For- what? What is still? I don't know that one. Commodores. I know the Commodores, but I don't uh, yeah.
4: know. Yeah, it's it's like kind of slow paced. Um.
0: Man, there's a lot of sappy songs in this song. The- bitch.
4: Yes, of course. Yes, it's. Uh, Definitely a love song. It's Lionel Richie, you know. He sings this one, and, you know, it's just him playing the piano. Oh, God, I'm trying to remember. You know what? I'm going to – hold on, pause real quick.
0: Pause! <coughs> Sorry. No, while we're doing that, you look that up. I'm going to talk about the next ones. But um, I was wrong. Biggest part of me from Ambrosia is from Shaun of the Dead because I remember that. Ooh, please don't go. You're the biggest part of me. That is from Shaun of the Dead. I had the wrong
4: song. What did? You, what are the chances they both be on the same list so close to each other? Yeah, biggest part of me Ambrosia. I'm like, oh, this, this one just seems awfully different than I remembered it. To be.
0: What is yeah. Ambrosia? Is a food, right? Like a Jello thing or something?
4: Yeah, it's like marshmallows mushed and everything. it's it just food comparable to the like the closest to the God. <laughs> All right, I guess I need to try Ambrosia. (laughs) Actually, uh, yeah, no, just look up... Actually, look up the definition of Ambrosia.
0: Okay. Uh, It's going to say cheesy 80s band. I just know this. Why are you looking up the band from... uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead? Ambrosia salad? (laughs) Oh, I've had this. It has, like, fruit and marshmallows with whipped cream and stuff. Okay, yeah, 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 I totally
4: had Ambrosia. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, no, let me go to YouTube. Um... Are you still looking up the
0: Lionel Richie song? Okay. We don't
4: have to. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. no, well, I'm about, well, I'm already here. I might as all fan. right. But, <laughs> yeah, just had to put up. That's the thing. That's what I like about having this PS4. Like, we watch
0: YouTube on my telly. <laughs> okay, so yes, uh, we listened to it off air. I, I recognize that band, uh, that song still. Um, not not a huge fan. I don't like the sappy songs too much. You have to be really interesting. Um, here's a weird one. The number twenty-eight is "This Is It" by Kenny Loggins, which is sort of a love song to his father. Uh, Kenny Loggins' dad was dying, uh, and he told him, "This is it. You know, you're you're going to either you have to fight this and survive, or you you're going to go to heaven." And it's it's such a powerful song that if unless you listen to it, you don't realize that it's so somber and sad in its context.
4: Yeah, no, exactly. That's why you got to listen to the lyrics. Like, he really poured his heart and soul into this one. Like, and, again, this is a, a goodbye to his father. Yeah. Heartbreaking
0: song. And this is really when Kenny Rod – not Kenny Rod. Kenny Loggins went on his own. And uh, – because it was Loggins and Messina. And it was never meant – everybody thinks that Loggins and Messina broke up. It was never meant to be a band. They just got together for a one-off. But it was successful, so the 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 – The label kept pushing him to continue with Messina. Messina's like, yeah, I got projects I want to do on my own. I want to go off and help other artists. And Loggins wanted to be on his own, but they just kept pushing it. So for like three or four albums, it was Loggins and Messina. And finally broke free in 79. And this is when Kenny Loggins came out with I'm All Right and This Is It, which were huge for him
4: yeah no of course and there's another one he did with uh stevie nicks uh whenever i call you friend
0: yes right uh i forgot about that one um i'm gonna skip a couple here because first off um we already talked the spinners for 29 which is cupid don't fall in love with the dreamer and coward of the country i don't know kenny rogers outside the gambler or or that one the islands in the stream kenny rogers i will say this
4: uh
0: was huge just massive it's it's so shocking to think about
4: Oh, absolutely! Again, uh, she just, just passed away recently, and also, uh, yeah, this song—oh man, this—this this was definitely a like a hard-hitting song. It definitely had the emotion, and of course, I mean, this is, I think, where Kim Carnes is best at. I mean, yeah, Betty Davis Eyes was a huge hit later on, but I don't know. It's like her voice just didn't seem to me to be that type of.
0: Well, um, she has such an unusual voice, and every once in a while, a singer with a very raspy voice will break through, and she's just one of them, um, and that's my jam. Betty Davis' Eyes is one of my favorite songs, but she does have an unusual voice, and on her own, I think she might have been a one-hit wonder, I think, but this counts, right? If you do a duet, that doesn't, that that—that that is part of your uh,
4: discography, right, of singles? That's
0: yeah.
2: Right,
4: yeah. Okay, well, that Cupid song by the Spinners, that was definitely a cover of Sam Cooke's uh, Cupid, which oh. my mom absolutely loved. She loved Sam Cooke. That's how I knew it.
0: Okay. Um, where are we at? Uh, "Sailing" by Christopher Cross. We already discussed him, but "Sailing" is a great song. Dan Fogelberg, one of my favorite names to say. Doesn't doesn't uh, uh, Anchorman have him saying Dan Fogelberg is a, a warm-up? Dan
4: Fogelberg. <laughs> uh, of all the things you said, that's a high possibility. <laughs> might have been in the outtake, might have been in the leaded scenes, but I would not put, put
0: it beyond doubt. Who who has oh, been man. kind of a running joke because he's Canadian and he's so soft and sweet or whatever? I don't remember the song either longer. I'm sure I would if I heard it.
4: Ryan Reynolds would know this song. If he's Canadian. <laughs> uh,
0: 35 and 36 are by the same band. What are the chances of both of them? Cool the Gang. Um, and seriously, Cool and the Gang is so underrated. They had so many great funk hits. Um Brick House brought no that was no no Brick House was the Commodore. Sorry oh, everybody. Um but Ladies Night. Ladies Night Oh What a Night. Oh what a night. Uh
4: too hot honestly, these both
0: the, both these songs sound like they would play at strip clubs.
4: <laughs> oh absolutely, of course, and I'm sure they did. But Ladies Night is forever anybody growing up in the nineties watching Adam Sandler movies? Particularly Wedding Singer and Little Nicky. Yeah, no, this song's gonna get stuck in your head and John Lovitz is now burned into your Oh head.
0: right, that's right. Oh what a night. Yeah <laughs>
4: Romantic lady single baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh take your time, do it right, another great disco funk song. Uh this is kind of
4: that last year, I think. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, it is. It definitely
0: is. Yeah. It,
4: it, is this the year I, where they started
0: tell. burning the records at the baseball stadium? And I think it was Yankee Stadium where they burned the disco records and said, Down with Disco, Disco is Dead.
4: Wow. no, I don't, I didn't know that happened. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh,
0: I'll look it up. But it was in 79 or 80 where it was like uh, Down with Disco, and they took all their disco records and they burned them inside a, a baseball stadium. I'm pretty sure it was Yankee Stadium. Damn. I yeah, it was just effect. like, it's like the way hair metal died in 92. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden everybody said, fuck this shit, we're done.
4: Oh yeah, oh God, yeah. Hair metal, oh, especially considering how repetitive some bands were just getting. Yeah. Yeah, it needed.
0: Um, oh, Molly right Kirk here, that, right here, Kim Carnes was not a one-hit wonder. Number 39 is More Love, and uh, so I was wrong, she's not a one-hit wonder. Uh, but I missed one, sorry. Donna Summer and Barbara yeah. Streisand, I had no idea they did a
4: song together. Neither did I. I mean, it started off very smooth and very, you know, sad, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, pow! Yeah. And that's
0: when to Ozzy took over. It's no shit. more
4: tears. <laughs> 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 like, damn Ozzy. Like, Maybe Ozzy was influenced by this. and thought, you know what? I'm fucking Oscar girls. Moon. I have to meddle the shit out of this. I have to become. I have to, turn, I have to end my former Princess. To be in the Princess Prince Doctors in this fucking song. Sharon, <laughs> Sharon, who's that one singing that song? Strayson. <laughs> I know, but on, I mean, as I do love Barbara Streisand, but honestly, the one who takes it for me easily, I uh, fucking Donna Summer. I love Donna Summer. Absolutely. I th-
0: there's a song that plays at work, and it was driving me crazy because it starts off the same way Funky Town starts. And I kept thinking, I don't remember Funky Town having such a long intro. It's the same beat, though. Is this like the warm-up before? Is this like the full album cut and not the radio edit? And it just kept going. And um, I Need Love, I think, is the song. But it has this badass synth beat that if you took it out and threw it into the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, I would totally believe it. Oh,
4: God, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Shit. Oh, man. I'm surprised they didn't even use that song.
0: Yeah, it's, well, I think because, hey, no, 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 well, Drive mostly used Retrowave, which is looking back on that era, not from that era.
4: Right, yeah, you're right, like, Kovinsky and uh, Nightbox, yeah, they used a lot of good, that was a good fucking soundtrack, I loved it.
0: It is, and, um sorry folks, I'm getting tired, I think we're going to stop at 50, and then we'll do 50 on another list, because I'm getting kind of pooped. Unless you want to take over, do you want to take over on the list? Uh There are... A- couple
4: more songs I would like to mention.
0: Okay. No, no, I meant just like uh, you, I, narr- you narrate. I want to go through all of these because it's a lot of fun, but um, I think I'm going to have to take a break
4: after 50 or just go get a drink and pause. Okay. Well, uh, huh? well, how about we stop at uh, – let's stop at number 59. Uh, I know, at least as far as my list, uh, a few songs do uh, do get skipped over and it goes to 59. Uh, okay.
0: Well, I do want to say this. Pop – music by m i had no idea that was the name of the band but i love that song pop 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 music talk about that goes perfectly with i think video killed the radio
4: star oh absolutely but i just wasn't too fun i thought them uh, for some reason the music video didn't rub me the right way i just don't know um brass yeah, it was, it was... good sorry no yeah but yeah uh, again you're right it felt like it belonged it sits right next to video killed the radio star uh, next song. Brass in Pocket by The Pretenders. Maybe their biggest hit.
0: Pretenders um, is, I think, if you're a music... Uh, like, kind of a music... Audiophile. God, I can not think of the word. I am getting pooped. Audiophile, you know how great The Pretenders are, but I think besides a couple songs, they're not that mainstream. I think uh, they've kind of been forgotten.
4: That, oddly enough, I never felt like they were. I mean... Back on the Chain Gang was a great hit along with, um... Oh, jeez, Don't Old Get Me Little Wrong. Lonely, right?
0: Didn't they remake Only
4: the Lonely? I think they did, and My City was gone. they, oh, they, they know they had a few other hits, yeah, and they, they got inducted into the Rock and Roll uh, years youtube
0: But, uh, I don't know the next song. Special Lady by Ray Goodman and Brown? That sounds like a lawyer firm.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no. Yeah. Sorry. if you're Why a special lady we'll represent you at Ray Goodman and Brown mm, yeah. I, I'll, I'll
4: have to give it another listen
0: yeah but. I don't <laughs> I seriously don't know I don't know uh, Send Me Your Love by Stevie Wonder the second time around by Shallowmore I don't know any of these songs this is terrible
4: like, yeah second time around I actually got into I'm like okay no I'm feeling this I'm, I'm proving it I'm I'm doing it. I'm loving this. Yes. Is Shalomar the person who's
0: saying we don't have to take our clothes off? Have a good. Oh, that's t-. Jermaine Stewart. What is it? Jermaine Stewart. Oh, I didn't get that close at all. Wow. Stewart. <laughs> um, I do. I do know. <laughs> we don't talk anymore by Cliff Richard. That's another one of those great one-hit wonders. I have no idea. Whatever happened to Cliff Richard?
4: Yeah. No. I actually. Yeah. He again probably just faded out like again he was fading out with the last of the disco uh-huh. I mean you even see him in the music video uh, doing the performance I'm like oh yeah no this, this guy definitely belongs in the 70s was he
0: disco because I thought he was more like all American rock with just a more upbeat but, but he was he kind of funk and disco
4: a little bit somewhat as far as the style goes that's for yeah. sure
0: well I mean 46 is definitely one of the greatest funk songs of all time by a one hit wonder I think the Brothers Johnson Stomp now that's one that goes Stomp yeah. All Nights, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it.
0: <laughs> um, a Heartache Tonight by the Eagles has one of the greatest drum beats ever. And it. I love songs that tell a story. And they really just dig in and they tell this fantastic story uh, about a couple breaking up. Uh, in the middle of the night, out in a parking lot, after like going to like a uh, line dancing or whatever it is, and I gotta tell you that dun dun dun, dun heartache tonight, heartache tonight, I know, Lord, I know, it just so catchy,
4: right? Oh God, it's like, do you think Brad Fidel got some inspiration to do the Terminator thing? Dun 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 dun. Is this the end of the uh, Eagles? This
0: is kind of towards the end where they broke up, right? I want to I want to say yes, but I want to say no. Okay. Well, we all want to say no, because then we had to wait like 16 years for Hell Freezes Over to come out. Mm-hmm. But, but hey, we, Don that. Yeah, if they didn't break up, though, I got to tell you, they had some great hits in the 80s. I mean, uh, uh, Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Frey is fantastic. Heat is on. Uh, the Boys of Summer... Um, uh, I was thinking oh, yeah. when Joe Walsh went on to do a bunch of great stuff. It's just interesting where they went after the Eagles broke up. Because I, I guess they were just impossible to work together.
4: I know. It's like you'd think like so many of them. Uh, almost like uh, the level of talent between each Beatle member. You know, yeah. That's why it almost like impossible to work together. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, 48 is one of my favorites, and it's a one-hit wonder. And it's a legacy artist because Rocky Burnett had a song called Tired of Towing the Line. Do you know this song?
4: Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's this one, I don't think I listened. It, it's a, a, a
0: mixture of, like, new wave British rock mixed with kind of a rockabilly.
4: And uh, Tired of Towing the Line. Do, 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 do. But his father. Oh, oh, wait. Now I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, li- I did listen to that.
0: Um, in the 60s, very early 60s, his father, Johnny Burnett, was in a band called the Johnny Burnett Trio, and um, they had a bunch of hits. Um, the ones that you'll probably know is uh, Aerosmith um, remade one of their songs. It was uh, A Train Keeper Rolling All Night Long. Whatever. They sing a lot of songs about trains. It's weird. I don't know why I have, I have the greatest hits and like four of the songs are about trains it's very it's odd um but the other big hit that he had was on his own it was called You're 16 in Your Mind." do you know that one The Ringo Starr remade it ew yeah it's gross but at the time Johnny yeah. Burnett wasn't very old when Ringo sang it he was way too old to be talking about a 16 year old like god damn Ringo yeah but I wonder why you were kicked out of the Beatles um both of them, I believe, If I, I might be wrong about this, but I believe both Rocky and Johnny both had very bad ends. Johnny's, uh, Johnny wow. was a heavy drinker, and he got into fights with his brothers. Literally, while performing a concert, he would beat the shit out of his brothers, just like the way Oasis would. And they, they, couldn't, they were so red hot, but they broke up after a couple of years because they were so toxic. And then uh, years after Johnny Burnett had his own success, he was on a boat... And he was drinking, and he's just too drunk, and he fell off the boat and drowned. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's sucky. But uh, Rocky Burnett also, I believe, had, um, had died in an accident or whatever. And I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I, I remember looking this up about 10 years ago.
4: Damn, that is horrible. Yeah, I know. I'll have to look that up myself.
0: But that is tragic. One of the great forgotten rockabilly bands, and they're in a movie, and there's a video of one of their songs It's so kick-ass about a fucking train. Yeah, it's a runaway train on a one way track. And he had a yelping thing. He had this rockabilly yelp. Oh. Man, um, yeah, no, I'll have to look into that. Um, Better Love Next Time by Doctor Hook. I know Doctor Hook. We had that album
4: when I was a kid, but I don't remember the song. Yeah, I never even knew a Doctor Hook existed. Yeah. I'm like, was he uh Captain Hook's brother, the one who decided to just like kind of attend middle a school. To... <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be I a dentist. You. Exactly. It's, it's the little you. guy
0: from Rudolph. He's his little brother.
4: <laughs> Hermes Hook. And then he decided to have a one hit wonder. He's like, ah, oh, my yeah. brother's a famous pirate. I didn't know. Well, if he did send me the money. Let me make a song. Oh, All right. I, think,
0: I think if I remember correctly, <laughs> Doctor Hook is actually a two-hit wonder because I'm pretty sure they they sang the song on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I, I could be wrong.
4: I'll
0: What? Wait, wait. Who sang huh. "Little Red Riding Hood"? No, no, that was uh, that was a different band. Never mind. Um, where are we at? Fifty-one. Against the Wind. Bob Seger, the Silver Bullet Band, one of the coolest names ever. And this song is from yeah. what movie? Against the Wind. Wow. Oh. From Rambo three, like, duh. No, it's uh, a <laughs> no. It's not really from a movie, but it was used to important effect in uh, Forrest Gump when he's running. Right? No, I'm wrong. no, 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 no. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's not Bob Seger, isn't it? Uh, running on Empty by Jackson Brown. Yes, it is. Okay, I was wrong. Forget it. I'm getting pooped, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> we're almost done we're almost done we're, we're gonna There's get there
0: uh, let's start picking some random ones uh, Emotional Rescue the falsetto song by the Rolling Stones I don't know how he got to that level Well, singing falsetto is such a strange thing to me
4: oh well especially from someone like Mick Jagger, no less I'm like dang man considering all the things and uh, that they've done and saying and all the drugs you think they you know stick to being their badass badass selves yeah and then boom it comes out I thought I was like Wait a minute! I'm like, I thought this was an entirely different song. Had the same beat, you know. But I was wrong. No, it was a completely different song. But still pretty good. I liked it. Oh no. Um, this one I really want to discuss. Again, it's by Donna Summer on the radio. You know, it just starts off so mellow, so chill, and relaxed, and it does tell a great story too. You know, a former lover, you know, really heartbroken, ends up speaking about it on the radio, and the girl will just like, you know, as she hears it, she reminisces. And then, bam, get gets beat and just, just great dance, chorus. Oh. Again, she's a fucking queen. She's a diva. She <laughs> love it.
0: Um, one of my favorites of this year is Let My Love Open the Door by Pete Townsend. And, and it's been used in yeah. movies and TV shows. But it's just one of those. Well, it's different from his sound with The Who. This one's more of a British, almost Jamaica vibe to it. But it's more pop-friendly than Rock Hard. Rock Hard? Hard Rock. Jeez.
4: Yes. Well, hey, hey. in this context, it's still worked, man. Vice versa. Anyway. Yeah, no, it was upbeat, still so fun, and just a happy all-around song. And I think that is the best way – I that would be the best way to end this thing.
0: No, <laughs> let's finish this fucking thing. We're only at 50 minutes. We can do this. Um, Don't Let Go by Isaac Hayes is a fucking ridiculous song because it's like six and a half minutes long. And I think he sings for about 30 seconds of it. Very, very low. And I can't tell what the hell he's saying. But uh, it was his last song for a while until, what, Chocolate Salty Balls? (laughs) (laughs) Was that seriously his actual? Is that seriously the length in between those songs? I think so. I think that's the South Park song. That's the first hit he had
4: in, like, 18 years. (laughs) God Damn! Really? It was on the album. It was a single. <laughs> yeah. Oh man.
0: Because um, oh, a lot man. of these are repetitious. So we we're actually really we're in the '60s now. So uh, don't do me like that by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I I miss Tom Petty, uh, and he had so many great hits in him. And I still remember being in a doctor's office, and we're talking about Bob Dylan because it was playing on the office radio. And he goes, yeah, Bob Dylan's going around with that young whippersnapper. And I was like, oh, who? He goes, oh, that, uh, that that Tom Petty. And I was like,
4: whippersnapper, what?
0: He's older than you.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm, well, shoot, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, Tom Petty actually did look pretty good for his age, especially when he, you know, considering he still has hair and when he put on a beard, too. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I'm, yeah, no, he did great. He actually, one of his last performances was uh, Ball Rock, I believe
0: Oh, you went. see that's funny is, okay, people don't know what bottle rock is. It's a very, very, very expensive concert that takes place in Napa, where I used to live, where he lives, and uh some years they have really, really good lineup and some years not so much. but what year did you go when Tom Petty
4: was there? uh, uh no, Tom Petty, I believe was like I think two or three years ago. well, it was definitely before his I, I don't
0: hope think 2007... it was before his death, I
4: think we of burning him. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no! that's not what I meant to say What I meant to say was, like, it was de- I definitely think it was uh, I want to say around 2017 Because I went when Red Hot Chili Peppers went And that was 2016 Oh,
0: okay, okay Yeah, uh, uh, rest in peace Tom Petty We're going to be talking about him a lot through this decade The 80s and early 90s Hell, I think he went all the way almost to 2000 With top 40 hits Because he's just that legendary
4: Right no, of course. Absolutely. I mean it's got, I mean shoot. Eighties he definitely had that uh the music video was uh like uh, and yes, I can't remember yes. the name of the song. Uh Don't come around here no more. There's that and then there was Free Fall and oh my god, that yeah, a That record. was
0: the nineties with uh with uh, Johnny Depp, but mom, uh, I won't back down is probably my favorite. Oh yeah, I know, that was a good
4: one. Well Oh and then uh of course there was Refugee. I think is that on this list?
0: No, I think that's later. I think that's in the late 80s. Well, remember, he had that sidestep where he went around with the Traveling Wilburys for a few years, too, so that was kind of interesting. So I'm not sure which songs are his and which songs were theirs. Right. Running Uh, Down a Dream. Damn, we're going to have a lot of good songs from Tom Petty. Uh, Thank God we got to hear them all. Absolutely. Um so we have Fame from the movie of course Irene Care which I believe is her only hit but I think she might have done some movie for music Yeah, uh, music for movies uh, later yeah, she did What movie did she do? Oh, Flashdance what a film. Okay Well, no was it Flashdance what's what's the song? Not maybe That media. was it. Oh okay. <laughs> Um, Genesis, with, um, this is the new iteration of the band. This is when Peter Gabriel left, and they stopped being so, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, it's this what Rush was. Damn it, well, I can't think of it. It's, it's the, uh, the more, oh boy, I'm getting crazy tired. Uh, the rock music that was more, oh, progressive rock. When, when, when they had, uh, uh, Peter Gabriel, they were more progressive rock. And then when, um... Uh, Wow, tell me here. Who's the singer Genesis? Son of a... Phil Collins. When Phil Collins took over, I think he set them in the right direction that they had more focus, the songs were tighter, and they
4: were more uh,
0: radio-friendly.
4: Oh, of course, yes. And Peter Gabriel, I will say, was definitely perfect on his own, especially when he came out with uh, Salisbury Hill. Yes. That's like one of the most calming and favorite songs of all time my dad is a huge peter gabriel i even got a heck i even got a live record of the uh, peter gabriel's music last time i went record That's shopping. Cool. i heard
0: his i heard his concerts were really amazing
4: oh especially um i think it was like in the early 90s shaking the no not shaking the tree um no you're right shaking the tree i God. think is blue
0: no is shaking the tree is because well he always does albums that are named us up so we you know something like that
4: trying to remember. How do we even get remember. here?
0: Oh, we're talking Genesis, but um yeah, this is the start of the new version of Genesis. And Genesis is interesting because they would have put out an album then uh Phil Collins would put out his own album and then like then we had Mike and the Mechanics for a while, and then Genesis would come back and then they would break up again and Genesis would come back forever. You know, it's like every 5 years they put out an album, but every time they did, it was a phenomenon. And the sad part is oh, Genesis God. is no more and I think what Phil Collins is retired because he has Arthritis or something's wrong with him. I remember.
4: Yeah, no. Plus, it's past that he retired. And you know, he uh, Genesis was actually Robin Williams' favorite band. I can see that. Dude. If you think?
0: Well, I think a lot of people that, really really notice how great they are later. Like they were big at the time, but I think they fade away. And people like they're not cool, and then later you're like, no, they're pretty fucking cool.
4: <laughs> yeah, they were. Oh god, especially with Invisible Touch. That was a great album. Oh man. Uh, shit. That, this was discuss- It was uh, covered by Disturbed too. Yeah, it's, it's also- uh, a land of confusion. Absolutely. I'm like, okay, now that one's where it hit. That's um, like,
0: now that's a good. Yeah. Well, and we'll, of course, we can get to this because the songs were all huge. Let's get to the rest of the list real quick. Heartbreaker, Pat Benatar. It's her first real big hit. And of course, she would dominate the first half of the '80s. Uh, it's, it's so strange when we give up on an artist, and I don't know what that is because you look at her first three or four albums and they're just loaded to the gills with great hits and then all of a sudden we're just done with her. What is that?
4: I don't know. I just don't know. I Honestly, I thought she was really aggressive and she like, gave women a voice, especially with Invincible. Yeah,
0: but, uh, which is, I
4: think, her greatest song. Oh, fuck yeah. It's such an it's a fucking anthem, dude. It's badass.
0: Now, have you ever seen the movie that's from? Uh, the Legend of Billie Jean? The
4: Legend of Billie Jean? I think you sent it to me on DVD.
0: Okay. So, yeah you know what I think it was on a set with a bunch of teen movies or something like that but yeah I
4: love that movie oh god yeah no, I hear it's an awesome movie I remember seeing uh, people talk about it on BH ones I Love the 80s uh-huh. and that was one of the movies they talked about and how you know badass it was
0: which is weird because the movie didn't do well it was not a big hit. It's just one of these things that was discovered later, like on HBO when it aired four thousand times. Um, how do we did it, we did it again? We veered off nineteen eighty. This will be the longest episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, what is Sarah by Fleetwood Mac? That's not the one. Sarah,
4: Sarah, no, na, da, 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 no, na. that's by uh, Starship.
0: Is it okay, okay? Sarah is
4: like more melody, like kind of soft. You know, off the Tusk album from uh, Fleetwood Mac. Okay, That's said. You are a poet in my heart. Wow. Never change. I don't Never know that song. Wow. I, I, love I love Fleetwood Mac, and I have the song. Yeah, I, right I don't. In.
0: I don't know this album. I only really know "Rumors" because there's another one on here called "Tusk," and I have no idea what that song is.
4: Yeah, it was that. It, it was that kind of like almost forgotten one. It, it's kind of hard to measure up to "Freaking uh, Rumors" considering all the craziness that, that went behind it and the success of it. But there were some good hits on there. Definitely different. Everybody was experimenting a little bit.
0: Is this Not the too, end of Fleetwood Mac? Is this when they broke up after this album?
4: Oh no 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 no! After Tusk came uh, Gypsy, okay, which was Mirage, and then there was another one in between, and then there was uh, Tango in the Night. Tangle in the Night is when Lindsey Buckingham left.
0: Okay, Lindsey Fuckingham? <laughs> the the porno <laughs> spinoff in the uh, this isn't Fleetwood Mac but X parody. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh god, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that shit. But yeah, oh dude, seriously, I have to say, of all the guitarists, it's like yeah, you know, there's people like West Montgomery, Hendrix, Steve Ray Vaughan, Prince, Splash, uh, This guy is my favorite. It's the, just something about him, finger picks, his unique guitar. Yeah, like, well.
0: There's a song that came out after this, after they kicked Lindsey Buckingham, and I thought it was 1980, and I'm surprised it's not on this list, but it was called Trouble, and it was a big hit for him, and I remember he performed that. He was the first, like, name guy to perform with the new cast on SNL.
4: Mm, yeah, no, Lindsey Buckingham, yeah, this was from a solo career, uh, I think, in between, uh, between Mirage and uh, Tango of the Night.
0: Yeah, well, of course he did the Holiday Road song. Yeah. Um.
4: Which I thought was Kenny Loggins
0: for years. I honestly thought it was Kenny Loggins for a decade.
4: Well, I couldn't blame you. It sounds like it's up Kenny Loggins' alley. And then um, he also did uh, Go and Think.
0: Uh, Give Me the Night by George Benson is one of my favorites until they played it too much at work, and I started getting kind of tired of it. But I love, and I did not know who George Benson was until I looked it up a few years ago, and I was like, oh,
4: this guy actually had quite a few hits.
0: It's just most of them were, like, on the R&B charts, you know, and adult contemporary.
4: Yes. And, of course, this one was definitely got, like, that kind of low groove funk. Yeah. He danced to it. He played at parties.
0: Well, it's got a lot of different sounds into it as well. It's not simple. You really listen to it on headphones. You're like, whoa, what's that sound in the background? Oh, wow, and they mixed it with that? That's interesting. It's it's definitely an
4: audiophile kind of song. Exactly. It's It was experimental. Let's not deny that. Um, Same it, with the, "This Next Song" by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, which it, is a strange.
0: A I, I think now, if I remember correctly, they talked about it in a Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode, and I do remember. Does it have just them going tusks, tusks? Don't, don't say
4: that you love me. This was definitely more Mick Fleetwood's um, experimentation with percussion. Okay, uh, especially because there's a pretty awesome, badass uh, drum solo in the song. It's been a while since I listened to it, but again, it definitely holds up. <sighs> and it, there's a reason why on the group And then for me, this song right here, this one coming up right next, this is my number one favorite song of the entire list. Really? Wow. It's nice not
0: even. I mean, I appreciate the song, but it's not my favorite Prince song.
4: Oh no, it's not my favorite Prince song. But on this list, oh, on the list, gotcha. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I want to be your lover. This is like I think his first big actual commercial hit. Yeah. And it has a great tune to it. You know just kind of upbeat but and he's very at the beginning of the lyrics he's very brutally honest ain't got no money and not like those other guys you hang around so basically he's who knows he might have had trouble with a girl and she turned out to be a gold digger.
0: <laughs> but uh, but you did but add I'm you wrong. added one more song to the end and you're right refugee is from 1980 i thought it was so much later
4: yeah uh, yeah oh yeah did i was right
0: Awesome. I can't believe we're able to do this in just a little over an hour. This is amazing.
4: I know. Holy crap! I get. I, <laughs> I cut it down to as many stocks as possible. Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny is we don't usually record this late, and you and I are early risers. But it's the weekend, and we both have it off. So just, ah, uh, I I can't stay up as late. I don't have as much energy as I used to. I I miss the days where I could just sleep in. But now I'm just like, oh, six o'clock in the morning, time to go. You get up a lot earlier than I do, so I should shut the hell up.
4: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, on the weekends, no, I can sleep in. Thankfully, uh, like depending on where you put me, like if you put me in Reno or if you put me in Vegas, I can go up to like one
0: well, Yeah, because there's so much to do. You get, you get the heart pumping, but now we're in a we're in isolation <laughs> for a lot of it, <laughs> and there's only so much TV you want to watch. I find myself getting up in the morning and being like, "It eh, ten o'clock. I guess second nap." <laughs> I'll watch something or I'll eat breakfast and I'll just go back to sleep because there's nothing to do. I'll exercise around the house that's like an hour of the day you know one hour right. of, it's just not enough so it's uh I've been listening to a lot of music and I gotta tell you once we get into like the 90s oh, the episodes are gonna have to be split oh, up oh my gatos! yes
4: <laughs> anyway, yeah no seriously uh, for me I got the um, yeah mainly because I've been having you know just work on the weekdays but on the weekends I got the Final Fantasy 7 remake I'm replaying that because you gotta play it on hard mode in order to uh, fully upgrade your weapons and all that stuff. And I still miss a lot of shit. Yeah. I'm uh, getting a Raspberry Pi built with
0: all the classic (laughs) consoles put on it for me.
4: Oh, wow. That's... Dang.
0: Yep, it's going to have Genesis, the Master System, uh, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Atari 7800, uh, TurboGrafx-16, and the Sega Saturn. I think that's it.
4: Neo Geo. Neo Geo. Dude, you know what's actually coming out on the 30th is uh, Streets of Rage 4. I didn't even know there was a 3. Why are we talking about this? Let's wrap
0: this episode up. We'll continue this after the uh, episode. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Um, So we'll be back next month with a discussion over 1981, and we'll talk off-air whether or not we're going to do videos. See, I wonder if the charts for MTV were wildly different than the Billboard charts because I feel like a lot of those songs did not cross over. Like what we know so well now. Did that actually hit the top 40 or, or was
4: it only an MTV hit? Right. No, of course. Uh, especially considering, you know, the demographic of MTV now. Oh, gosh. Right. Well, if you, if you don't know the
0: history of MTV, originally it was only in the suburbs because those were only neighborhoods that had the money to get cable and to add it to the plateaus. And they would not play a black artist. They would not. Uh, No matter who it was, they're like, that's for BET. That's not for us because white suburban kids don't want to see black artists. How ironic that 10 years later that they'll all be making gangster rap platinum albums. But um, if it wasn't for Billie Jean, if Billie Jean did not have that guitar riff and that pop sound in the killer video... That it may have been years till that happened, and they never would have had Yo MTV Raps. They wouldn't have been a good mixture of everybody, and it just took Michael Jackson and give him credit for breaking through that wall.
4: Oh, absolutely! That oh, let's not forget Beat It when oh gosh was it Eddie Van Halen? Yes, so it was Eddie Van Halen. Guitar- so yeah,
0: so it's Michael Jackson, Prince, and Lionel Richie were like the first three guys to really break through on MTV. And then it just, it just opened the floodgates Where it could be anybody It didn't matter if they were white, black, Asian Or whatever, you know, Latino I mean, Menudo, I mean, come on Menudo wouldn't have made it any other time
4: Exactly, precisely I mean, yeah, they would still sell out, stadiums, uh, sell out of stadiums uh, But, yeah, as far as getting on MTV I mean, again People needed to break
2: Yeah uh, well, I mean, We wouldn't have had
4: What's the band that did
0: uh, Ducci? That that was right after Michael Jackson, and I don't think they would have had a hit if it hadn't
4: been for that. Absolutely, yeah. So again, as far as Billboard, I, honestly, I think they have a bit more of a a larger demographic.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm, so I'm going to kind of look at the list for 1981, see what the biggest hits from MTV, and compared to the Billboard. And if they're wildly different, that's almost two completely different podcast conversations to have. I wish that I had the ability to be in the room with you so that we could record uh, while watching the videos and have the videos play in the background, you know, for like a YouTube video, because it'd be interesting to, for the audience to see what, but we just can't. We live too far apart. Plus, even if we live next door to each other, we can't record because we're trying to stay safe. <laughs> exactly. How'd you guys get the coronavirus? Well, we sat on the couch recording a stupid YouTube video and we're going to die. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right, interesting times, everybody. It's a blessing and a curse. So check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And Jacob,
4: send us out. All right, namaste. Good luck, my friend.
0: And be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. That was harder to do with my raspy voice.
3: And the worn-out chores We got nothing but ourselves to live for And if we drown, so be it I'm not afraid of what comes next So pour me a river Proclaimers The sin neighbors And the autocrats They come with their hooks And I brush them off our backs I need you to know I need you to trust That we are ocean. Let me convince you it'll be alright. God makes a tablet of stone, but we make our love our own. And if we die, so be it. I'm not afraid.
0: Warm-ups first. We are uh, what, uh, lanolin, lanolin. Uh, the, uh, the Battle of cable Hogue uh, <laughs> Darby O'Gill oh,
4: and the Little People. He tells him to take a shower. Shawshank Redemption. That's oh. a
0: that's a fun but depressing one. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's pretty, I'm, I'm warmed up. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, everybody! It's uh, it's um. What are we again? Oh, yeah, I hit rewind. I'm fucking around, and I forgot what we're doing. <laughs> um, uh, I thought that'd be fun if we recorded ourselves warming up with different phrases each time we do an episode. <laughs> what was the one that I did it's last like, time? Was um, it was, oh, The Great Waldo Pepper.
4: The Great Waldo Pepper. <laughs> the Great Waldo Pepper. The spicy intravada did not fit well in his bowels.
0: Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, we're st- okay we are gotta stop. Uh, we're testing the patience of the listeners. So, this episode is going to start off with our discussion of comedies of 1980. And um, looking at the list of movies that came out in 1980, comedy ruled. There's hardly any family films. There's almost no animation. Sci-fi is just starting to take off post-Star Wars. Action movies are non-existent. So, it's almost all horror movies and comedies. And there are so many of them that... Frankly, I had to watch most of these and par them down to uh, what was what, what I would give you so I didn't torture you. Some I couldn't find. I, I wanted to see one called serial uh, uh, with Martin Mall, which is a parody of suburban life and I couldn't find
4: it anywhere. Oh damn, I like Martin Mall.
0: Yeah, uh, see what else on here. Um, hero at large is not bad. Is John Ritter as a um, actor who is a superhero, like a, like a cosplay kind of guy who goes around, you know, for um, signings and take pictures of this character that's uh, I think is Captain Amazing or something like that. And he ends up stopping a robbery and becomes a, a true life hero, but doesn't realize that he's not he doesn't have powers. He's going to get killed. But it's a very
4: noble effort. It's just not funny. Oh, okay. So it's basically almost like a setup for uh, James Gunn's film, Super. Kind of, except he's Someone not a psychopath. It. That too. That's <laughs> an um, amazing. I'm like, wait a minute. This is a precursor to a Mystery. Yeah, it's it's a really
0: um, what do you want to call it? Um, blue collar kind of guy trying to just make something of himself, and it's really um, awe inspiring. But it, it was positioned as a comedy, and it's not really funny.
4: Oh, dang. Okay, Sorry, John but, Ritter, I love you, but this just didn't make me laugh.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, what else came out in 1980? Um, we watched Airplane, of course. Airplane, uh, I think we might have seen before we ever
4: were programmed for this episode. Oh, God, yes. I've seen it. Uh, first time I saw it was late night, uh, you know, front room when I was a kid uh, back in Oakley. I think it was on HBO, and it just – you know, I was – course used to naked gun already so I was um, used to this kind of like set up ridiculous uh, absurd kind of comedy
0: yeah I think I think if I remember correctly I've seen naked gun before this because this I saw it on USA one night I think around 1991
4: I believe so yeah and for me that's what it was like
0: Yeah, well, parody movies weren't that uh, in high rotation. You usually got one a year at best. So it wasn't exhausted like the way it was for, you know, like 20 years later with the date movies. Scary, anything with the word movie at the end of it was pretty much a shit parody that uh, destroyed the whole
4: genre. Yeah, exactly. Disaster movies. Oh, I think disaster movies were really different. Yeah. and I will personally blame Kim Kardashian for that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, the only
0: one worth a damn, I think, a superhero movie because that had a whole different team in it. But Airplane is kind of where we really get... Uh, well, I mean, they had Mel Brooks, yes. But his spoof style is different than the Zucker Brothers. The Zucker Brothers seem to be rat-a-tat-tat, trying to get as many jokes as humanly possible in there uh, based around one thing. Whereas Mel Brooks always seemed to have love for the genre, um, and, and mix the goofiness exactly. in with because there's there's a lot more story I think in Mel
4: Brooks movies. Oh, absolutely! I mean, hell, uh, uh, High Anxiety was just an absolute tribute to Hitchcock. Yeah, and to that genre, and Baseballs itself was to the genre of sci-fi fantasy.
0: Yeah, and and if I remember correctly, there was a movie, I wish I remembered it, but there was a movie in the 60s that uh, Paramount owned, and the Zucker Brothers had seen it on television, they started mocking it openly, and they thought it was really funny to do do that or whatever, and then they said, hey, Paramount, can we do a spoof of this movie, just buy the script or whatever, and we'll just write in our lines of dialogue in it and just morph it into our own thing.
4: And lo and behold, we got Airplane. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Almost every second there was a joke thrown in. Um, even when uh, that one scene, when he forgot to check the pressure, and he's like, well, if this gets any worse, this shit's gonna hit the fan." And then the big old chunk of shit hits an actual thing.
0: <laughs> I chose the wrong day to stop sniffing
4: glue. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man. Well, it's it, Bridges, it, I- yeah,
0: it's 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 the first time I think they had taken serious actors and and made them play straight so that the jokes would hit uh, in a different way than the way Mel Brooks would do it, too, because Mel Brooks only cast comedians. So that was also a different vibe. Getting, like, Peter Graves and Lloyd Bridges, Robert Hayes was a very affable kind of straight man, um, Julie Haggerty, you know, Leslie Nielsen. This is where Leslie Nielsen as a comedic yeah. actor started.
4: Oh, exactly, yeah, because uh question from my dad told me he was thinking more dramas and, like, kind of uh, horror films, yeah, like, the suspense films, if I He's in the first problem. And seen him in there. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow, really?
2: Yeah.
4: Oh, crap. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so it's it's unique. Yeah, this is what- Sorry, yeah, there's um, a delay. I knew it. There's a delay lately and I don't know why. And I did this yesterday. I got to figure out what this delay is. It's weird. So I'm going to shut up and let Jacob talk and then I'll wait. I can
4: edit the pauses out. My bad. <laughs> But um, as far as it goes for this kind of movie, uh, again, it just, as you mentioned, like it's that rat tat tat Got to keep going and going and going. Almost like Michael Bay dialogue, but not, you know, enough to clog your arteries. <laughs> Yeah, but again, I, this is a whole comedy, so it makes sense for it to keep going.
0: Yeah, well, I, the success rate, though, of the jokes is much better than most of these spoof movies. And, and their track record is pretty impeccable because we got... Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie was their first film. They didn't direct it, but they wrote it. It was based on their sketches that they did on stage. Um, have you seen that one? Have you seen Kentucky Fried Movie?
4: No, I haven't, but I think I uh, someone posted about it recently, and I'm like, huh, I'll have to give this a try. Yeah,
0: it's... Uh, It's based on their their live show, and they had John Landis come in and direct it, and it was a big hit, and it's basically a spoof of everything you would see, like, on a shitty Saturday afternoon on these local stations. So they got crazy kung fu parodies and and commercials that just are insane, and that was their first success. So that's how they were able to... And they did that independently for almost nothing, like $300,000, and... uh, then they got Airplane There's they skipped Airplane 2 because they were doing the, the the Police Squad TV show which eventually became Naked Gun and in the middle of all
4: that is Top Secret oh you're right oh my god I love Top Secret um, that was like one of the that was like one of the first films where I had seen uh, Val Kilmer actually do comedy before Real Genius
0: yeah well that is literally his debut uh, he got a star and roll his first time out
4: oh wow Right? It's amazing. Indeed. No, and he had, like, perfect comedic timing, and, you know, he was just on the spot. And so it made sense to, like, cast him. But I will say, regarding that one scene the Top Secret when they're doing that stupid dance before the whole little uh, thing ended, before he, you know, had his performance and just took over the stage, <laughs> I, I remember uh, hearing the commentary as, like, how everybody laughed at that, and they had to do so many takes of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think the Zucker Brothers are having a lot of fun when they make their movies because, you know, later they took over the Scary Movie franchise and there's a vibe in the first two movies that's different than 3 and 4 because the Zucker Brothers are on 3 and 4 and it's PG-13 instead of R and I think the jokes are much faster and and more consistent.
4: Right, yeah, because it was the weigh-ins. Game and Ivory weigh-ins started the first two.
0: Yeah, and... The one thing I want to say about uh, Airplane is Julie Haggerty had a long-lasting career after this. She was always a good support. I think my favorite performance of her is actually from uh, What About Bob. And it's disappointing that – oh, my God. Robert Hayes. uh, I almost lost it there. Robert Hayes really didn't have much of a career. He's so much fun in this. But whatever it was, he couldn't get a project to really get him going after Airplane.
4: Oh wow! Really?
0: Yeah. Look at his uh, uh, filmography, and I'm going to guarantee you haven't heard of ninety percent of what he did.
4: All right, I'm going to have to do so. Yeah, it's
0: just one of those guys that broke through with this and just couldn't get a project lined up. That I mean, he's in Cat's Eye. That's something to, that's noteworthy. He's in the Starman television show, and that's about it. I don't remember anything else that he was in that did well. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, he was in a Homeward He was in the Homeward Bound. Oh, dad.
0: okay, I've never seen those. So, and he's the dad in that, I'm guessing? And Gene Smart's his wife? Yes. Okay. Huh. I should watch those. Those are, on the, those are Disney movies, right? Absolutely, I believe so. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, eventually I'll get around to watching those, because I wanted to, sometime down the road we're going to discuss family movies and stuff like that, and, and Disney films throughout the 80s and 90s. But um, I think that's about it I want to say about Airplane. I don't hate Airplane 2, and we'll discuss that in a future episode. Um, I think they fit well with each other. I don't know why it's hated so much.
4: Yeah, I don't know either. Um, Airplane, I thought Airplane 2 was just as hilarious. I mean, again, late night HBO comedy. uh, That's when I saw it. And (laughs) I just love love that one joke where – oh, God, why am I forgetting her name? The actress who played Elaine. Julie Haggerty. Yes, that's what it is. Uh, when he's telling her, he's like, "This is the past or the present. It's the future." She's like, "What?" <laughs> uh, he's like, wait a minute. How, you just said the future. No, it's not. This is the present. It's happening now. It's happening now.
0: <laughs> oh, oh my god, that's, that's that's the joke, basically, from Spaceballs. And and he they got to it first. I didn't know that. We'll, we'll, we'll like we'll hold off though. We'll discuss that when that movie comes out uh, in our eighty two episode. But. Uh, the next movie I want to talk about is one that we did in one of our very, very first podcasts. It might have been actually our first podcast, and it's Caddyshack. And that episode was torturous because it was two hours long, and we only talked for about a half hour because we used to do commentary tracks for movies, and that was terrible because we're
4: too busy laughing at the movie. <laughs> exactly. We're trying to like do impressions of like Rodney Dangerfield. My God, Caddyshack. Okay, this was uh, Harold Ramis' uh, directorial debut, and I think it was like one of Rodney Dangerfield's big movies. Yeah, I think it's his first. Like when he first course. started.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he did a movie before this. I know he did Star in another movie, and I don't think that was actually the point of the movie. What I've been reading about is that it was originally focused solely on Danny Noonan and the guys at the Caddyshack, that it was all about them and everybody else was peripheral. But the footage turned out to be so good for you know all, all the supporting cast that they started shifting the focus where it was just Danny and then all these adults instead of really focusing on all the kids.
4: Exactly. I mean, hence the name Caddyshack. Yeah. But again, you also had supporting characters like, uh, you know, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. And those were like two of the biggest comedic people uh, at the time are still pretty hilarious. So yeah, they had to write more screen time. For them. because dude, We're going to go and see them. Yeah.
0: And, of course, Ted Knight. I love Ted Knight. He is one of the greatest heels in movie history. <laughs> and I love my favorite thing. I do this to people at work, and I'll be like, Oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> When he's just a oh, real yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When
4: he's, like, handing Danny, like, a hand, handing a tip. He's like, there's more where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, oh, or Murray. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, Seriously, yeah. him just having a conversation with a gopher.
0: Yeah, or, or when he has the pitchfork and he's up against that one kid and he's just like, and, they, and the Dalai Lama, he talked to
4: me, he said, Gunga Lunga. Gunga lunga. <laughs> <laughs> when you die on your deathbed, you will achieve total consciousness. Oh, got yeah, that goes. <laughs> just It's so quotable no, 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 no,
2: no, 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 no,
4: no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Chevy Chase, like again, just making the noises is just uh, <laughs> and uh, just so I, random. And, of course, he was uh, best friends with uh, the writer, the creator of National Lampoon.
0: Right, uh, Tom Kenny. Tom, no, Tom. Tom Kenny's from SpongeBob. I can't remember the name, but he's the one who died fairly young, right?
4: Yes, actually, and Chevy Chase was still in belief, uh, still in dis- disbelief for the longest time about how it happened.
0: Yeah, he walked off a a cliff at his resort or whatever, and they never figured out if it was accidental or purposeful, you know, if he killed himself or whatever, but, you know, there was a lot of drugs going on too, so he could have been just in a haze. But it's sad that the only two movies that he really did were Animal House and this, and he hated Caddyshack. He hated it. He said it was nowhere nearly as good as Animal House, and I just don't know. Maybe he saw the dailies and before they, you know, edited to a complete film.
4: Right, no, that could have been... But Tim Matheson, of course, you know, he was friends with duck kenny as well uh and he's just and he straight up said him was like well yeah i mean you got a home run with uh you know animal house but with uh caddy you got a double a triple e. you know you got a great hit
0: yeah did you and know that's a shame too tim matheson bought national lampoon in his memory in 1989 when it was going under and him and a business partner went in and they bought national lampoon and saved it
4: no i did not know that oh my god that's awesome the uh so that explains why he had so much involvement uh especially in uh van wilder
0: right um i think by then though he had sold it but he was legacy so i mean you know bring him back but i believe that he sold it to someone in 92 or 93 who was an investor like a big money investor much bigger than tim madison who was interested more wow. in just keeping the publication going, that he was going to uh, make more movies. But what they didn't know is that he basically only made like three more movies and then would just license the name out for like a fee, like a $100,000 fee is what he was – so that's what you saw around 2000, 2006, like 30 movies with the word National Lampoon on it. Dang, yeah, no.
4: They were all like straight to DVD or TV movies. yeah. God.
0: Well, it's surprising that it's not National Lampoon's Caddyshack because those guys are so associated with National Lampoon. And Brian Doyle Murray is um, – you know, the, the script is based on his life as a, as a young man, and uh, Danny is basically supposed to be his character. And he was a National Lampoon guy too.
4: Yeah, he was before he was recruited by Lord Michael for time that live.
0: And I, I – um. I really think the movie holds up well. It has a lot of repeat value. I know a lot of people who don't like this movie anymore. It got bad reviews at the time it came out, but that it doesn't hold up. And it's weird to see when people are like, oh, yeah, well, Happy Gilmore is a much better golf movie. I'm like, what? I mean, it's it's not bad, but how do you see that it's better than Caddyshack? That
4: confounds me. I don't... Yeah, I mean, Happy Gilmore is clearly, you know, off the walls like Adam Sandler in the Ridiculous. Caddyshack's a little bit more... Um, Smart smart, wittier, and I think it does still hold up. Yeah, well, I still laugh at it. <laughs> oh my
0: God. Well, I love the anarchy
4: tone forward. of it, and it's what Animal House
0: had. It's the snobs versus the slobs, and I love Rodney Dangerfield in this. I mean, every time he gets going, I am so amused, and it's sad that besides this and Back to School, he never really capitalized on that hit. The rest of his movies just didn't do very well.
4: Sadly, no. But, again, uh it's just hard not to quote him sometimes, especially when you're out golfing. It's like, oh god, I'm having the worst game of my life. I should have stayed home. I played with my. I should have played with myself. <laughs>
0: hey, who stepped on a duck? Uh, I haven't seen a map like that. I had a hook in it.
4: <laughs> Last Let's hear hey. that out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Or he's like, "Oh hey, he's a good-looking kid." Oh no, no I know I thought he was that
0: young. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? I don't know what it is, but yeah, you know, it's like uh, uh, there's so many good lines in this one. Oh no, 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 no! It was in Back to School. I stole a line from Back to School when he's talking about uh, um, uh, who's the screaming comedian? Uh, Sam Kinison. Um, and he's talking about that. Uh, yeah. So never mind, I had the wrong. Sc- but yeah, the movie is unbelievably rewatchable, and I love the sequel. I know it's not as good. I know people fucking hate it. Um, I don't think you're a fan, right, of okay, to Caddyshack too? Uh
4: I've only—I've only seen it once when I was much younger, but I'd have to rewatch it again.
0: Yeah, well, it's in our voodoo account, our shared voodoo account, and uh, we got 1988 eventually coming down the road, so we will discuss it then. Okay, will do. Are we going to discuss Willow as well? Yo, well, that's a different genre, but yes, we will discuss Willow. There's no oh, way we won't, okay?
4: Because
0: we got to do some sci-fi fantasy
4: movies in the '80s too. Oh, absolutely, because this is when sci-fi was taken off. Oh, yes. And, and as far as it goes for Check, yeah, again, I still keep watching it multiple times. Uh, more often uh, more often than some people would. I'd watch it, like, what, every few weeks or so. Uh, or, hell, now it's just kind of gotten down to, like, about a month.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I would say annually for me now. But when we first taped it off TV, I didn't know. I didn't know there was an R-rated cut. and uh, Wow, that was interesting the first time I saw, I got to see the original version. An R-rated cut? Really? Well, no, 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 no. It is R-rated. I saw it on television, so it cut out a lot of stuff. So the PG version
4: is wildly oh. different. Gotcha. Oh, man. But yeah, no, uh, again, it's a classic. and I, Again, it still holds up, and I still can't help it whenever, like, I watch my dad play Wii Golf, and, you know, I'll just be like, Noonan! <laughs> Can I get bit? okay I do that too I forgot when I want someone to screw something
0: up at work I go nothing. <laughs> um
2: so um, that's a classic
0: and that was a big hit now here's a movie that was not a big hit at the time but has been rediscovered on cable because it aired all the time on TNT or TBS I can't remember which one and has become a cult favorite on video it is used cars it was Kurt Russell's big theatrical return after all those kid Disney movies
4: yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, of course, he. I know he started young, like, you know, being in Lost in Space or an episode of uh, Illigan's Island. And then going into Disney, he's a Disney kid. And now, boom, this is him fully grown up.
0: Yep. He, he had Elvis the year before, and that was a huge critical hit on television. It was a miniseries. And he had been gone doing, like, just occasional guest spots and stuff like that. But he was mostly playing baseball. And uh, up here in Oregon, actually, for the um, – Ah, uh, Hillsborough something, not Hillsborough Hops. It was the. Uh, they made a They made a documentary about it, the bastard, uh, the bastards of baseball, or something like that, where his team was just completely rebellious and against the system, and, and his father Bing was uh, um, fighting the man uh, when it comes to baseball. So that's what he was doing for a few years, was playing baseball professionally in the minor league, and then uh, he came back, had Elvis, and uh, he got a big deal with Robert Zemeckis to do used cars and of course that led to his whole John Carpenter, you know, the skit in New York and the thing and stuff like that. But if without used cars, I just don't think that his career would have taken off as
4: well as it did. Oh, no, but honestly, he had that charisma in cars that you see and portray it later on in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Honestly, and you <clears throat> sorry, I uh, had a little something in my throat. I had some broccoli and cauliflower earlier. Hey.
0: Broccoli flower.
4: <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, just watching him uh, again. He does have like a, a natural charisma for uh, comedy. You see him as this like used car salesman, like you know, trying to run for senator and just slapping bumper stickers on every car that he manages to sell. And of course, you know, just BSing you, trying to sell you, a, trying to sell you a big old piece of junk.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was so wildly different went, for him back then because he was not this kind of actor. And see, okay, so we have the serious side a lot of us remember from The Thing and Escape New York and Backdraft and stuff like that, Unlawful Entry. But he mixes it up a lot. He loves to play the the wise ass, the uh, the blue collar guy who's always working an angle. I mean, if it wasn't for Used Cars, we wouldn't have Big Trouble in China. We wouldn't have Overboard. Uh, Captain Ron, where, you know, a lot of these movies where he was playing kind of a shady guy and and more power to him for mixing up genres.
4: Absolutely. And, again, it's a Robert Zemeckis film, too, and I honestly did not expect to have Robert Zemeckis go this mature in a comedy. So it kind of threw me off for a minute, but everybody around him, every other character, too, in particular, all had these, like, really cartoonish kind of quirks. Uh, (laughs) Hell, even the main villain, uh, Jack why, am I, why I? either want to say Jack Albertson or Jack Warden. Jack Morton Yes. Okay. I'm right. I was right at the second time. Yeah. So yeah, you have like you know this, um, you know opposing car salesman across the across the street, you know trying to get them out of business, even though his brother owns the shop, and they're twins, but just the way his hair is parted, he looks like this devilish sort of figure. Yeah. And wearing these ridiculous suits as well.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, Kurt Russell gets all the credit for this movie, but Jack Warden's performance is so wildly different with each brother, and I mean, he transforms basically to be the older, sickly one that ends up dying. And I am just astounded. Jack Warden is a heavyweight in comedy that no one seems to give any credit to.
4: Oh, definitely. Like in uh, Problem Child was one of them. He yeah. was uh, John Ritter's dad. Dirty Work. And then, oh yes, Dirty. Oh God and loved him in Dirty Work. <laughs> he's like, all right, fellas, bring on the horn. No, we're to get to <laughs> well,
0: what's the one? He's he's good up in it, but the movie's terrible. Is uh the Carrot Top movie, Chairman of the Board?
4: Oh yeah, that's right. He was the one who left everything to uh, Carrot Top's character. Right. Um,
0: and this this and this has Garrett Graham in it, who is a character actor who you saw all the time in the eighties. Kind of faded away in the nineties, but he's so fun. And his fear, his palpable fear. Whenever he's around a red vehicle is so entertaining.
4: Oh God, yes! How superstitious and paranoid he is. Yes. <laughs> just like near the end of the movie too, where it's just like all of a sudden he realizes that it's the car he's driving was just painted and it's all red. and He's like, ah! And he's just <laughs> Well, and
0: and, and, uh, we got Frank McRae in this, who is a utility actor during the 80s, who I think is kind of forgotten, but he was uh, the big lovable guy in Batteries Not Included, he's the captain in 48 Hours, Uh, he's in The Wizard as the truck driver who gets him to Reno, and I think the last time I had seen him, I don't know if he's even still alive, the last time I saw him was the parody of himself in Last Action Hero, as the captain has all the steam
4: flying out of his ears. (laughs) Yes, exactly, oh, you're right, that is him. Yeah, no, again, he. Oh, yeah, he was also in uh, vacation as well. He was one of the security guys. You're there, right. <laughs> he
0: to act like a dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just a really good actor that I, I want. I'm going to look him up later because I want to know what happened to him. Um, but yeah, it's. it's a shame. A lot of it is about the fact that they chose really, really good actors to do this movie. And Robert Semeckis is uh, excellent with the technical stuff, but I think it's Bob Gale who gets the human element because. I don't think Back to the Future would have been anywhere nearly as successful if it wasn't for Bob Gale coming in and giving all the characters their their bits and pieces that they needed to become more than just two dimensional.
4: Oh, absolutely! Hell, even with uh, this gang, you know Billy Zane and um, the other two guys that were with him, you know they all had their little uh, personality quirks, yeah, and of course their own style. uh... What? Yeah, there was like everything. The,
0: um, the final action piece is one to behold. And they have to get uh, so many miles of cars because well, he edits the footage and, and he brings it in and he says they're going to go out of business if, if, if for false advertising. So they have to go get as many cars as humanly possible uh, you know, uh, to fit that – what did he say? It was like 15 miles? No, a mile of cars. It was a mile of cars. And the setup they have is so enjoyable because all it took was that little trunk thing that popped down at the end and they got it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, just that little thing, like, well, it's technical. And, of course, the judge was played by uh, Grandpa Munster. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: Al Lewis, yes.
4: Oh, my God. Yeah, like I said, there was just a great act in the entire movie. Although the female uh, actress, I not place my finger on it where I would seen her before.
0: Well, she, she was she the mom me. in a sitcom that was on for three years that was on after Growing Pains called Just the Ten of Us. That's what I know her from. Oh, wow. I'm trying to think, wait, wasn't she in Bachelor Party? She yes, was thank like you, city, I man. was literally about to say that and I was oh like, is that God. the same person? She's the stuffy older sister, right?
4: Exactly, yes. And then she gets it on with all the Japanese guys. Yeah, and
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I would say used cars uh, has aged very well, just like Caddyshack. Um, what hasn't aged well is Cheech and Chong's the next movie and I couldn't tell you what it's about because they're all the fucking same outside of the first movie. Th- these aren't movies. These are sketches put together, and I wish it would just tell you that, because they're clearly winging it. There is there is an outline, and then they just fuck around for an hour and a half, and that's it. And I'm at this point, I'm already tired of Cheech Chong. It's the second movie!
4: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It is. There's, like, no real actual plot. It is just a compilation of sketches, like, um, you know, Monty Python's uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, wait, no.
0: Now for something completely different.
4: Now for something completely different? What? Oh, God. I'm sorry. I was listening to one of uh, Sir Patrick Stewart uh, uh, narrations uh, reading a Shakespeare sonnet, Oh, And it got me thinking about Shakespeare. Yeah, I know. He posted on Instagram.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, basically all this is, is basically, uh, you know... they're always the same plots except for the first movie where they actually had a real story and they had Stacey Keach after them this one I mean and just like a lot of theirs and I get confused on which one's which because sometimes they just go to Amsterdam for a whole movie and they horse around in a hotel for a half hour then they go out and they try to buy weed for a half hour and they try to get laid for a half hour and then the end at the very you know the last 20 minutes is their stage uh, show that they would do and, and it's just it's not funny I, mean, I still enjoy watching those guys but I gotta tell you there didn't need to be six Chichi Chong movies there probably could have been three
4: no, yeah, know because, again, two, uh, again, the two I remember, which is Next Movie and Nice Dreams, yeah, those are definitely just a bunch of sketches compiled in the movie.
0: Yes, but there, there's still cool. some humor in those. It's after that, like, things get, are tough all over and stuff like that, and uh, still smoking, which is pathetic. It's not a movie.
4: Right, no, it's like, okay, what's this movie about? It's like, you just watched uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker.
0: Yeah, or the one with E.T., where he just walks around, eat me, and he has, like, you know, extra testicle uh, written on his. extra uh... it,
4: Torres, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> you know what's hilarious is that after this movie, this one was a big hit, too. It made mu- as much money as Up and Smoke, but they were offered stripes, and they turned it down because they didn't want to give up control, which means they were too lazy to probably actually put a real movie together. And that's their biggest mistake. Turning down stripes destroyed them.
4: Sadly, yeah, but honestly, I think it was good. For, it was a good benefit for Harold Ramis, John Candy, uh, Phil Murray, and oh,
0: John Larquette in
4: it. John Larquette, yes,
0: yeah. So we'll <laughs> discuss, yeah, we'll discuss that one in the next episode. But yeah, without that, you don't have Ghostbusters. So it's almost fortunate that Cheech and Chong. I mean, they still do their show. They're still together every once in a while. So Cheech and Chong are still a thing, um, even though I think what by the time '87
4: rolled around, they broke up for a really long time. Yeah. However, they are still revered, and they're the ones who started the whole, like, you know... Well, after Reefer Madness, of course, started the whole, like, you know, stoner comedy.
0: Right. Which is more prevalent now than it was, because uh, Shichung had their heyday, and then it kind of disappeared for a while, then picked up with Days the Confused. Oh, God, yes. Oh, that was a good <laughs> All right, so another movie that came out in 1980 that you didn't... I don't think you got to see, but I, I think you've seen it before, is Private Benjamin.
4: Private Benjamin.
0: Nope. I can tell by the way you said that you haven't seen it. It's Goldie Hawn. She gets sick of her boring life, and she thinks that the military, based on a commercial, is her escape from her boredom. And uh, she joins the military, and then realizes it's way harder than she ever expected. She wants out, and she can't. So she spends half the movie trying to get out. Then she accepts where she's at, and then she goes on a big mission with her other fellow female troops. It's such an empowering, intelligent, wonderful movie. Goldie Hawn is probably my favorite actress because of this movie and the next one, which is uh, "Seems Like Old Times" with Chevy Chase. Now, this one I know you because uh, uh, I sent it to you. Oh God,
4: yes! And I absolutely love it. okay. When you mentioned Private Benjamin, I was thinking of, Bill of the Blues. Wrong movie, entirely different plot Entirely different cast. What movie? <laughs> uh, it's with the. Um... It was with Matthew Broderick and Christopher Walken. Oh, Bloxy Blues. I just didn't
0: hear the words you said. No, uh, Bloxy Blues. Yeah, that'll come up later for us.
4: But yes, I did see this one, and I absolutely loved it. It was definitely more Goldie Hawn than it was Chevy Chase, I felt.
0: Yeah, it's... Well, I believe he was shooting Caddyshack in this almost at the same time, and he had to show up later in the filming. So she's she's the main star. But she's sharing the screen with Charles Grote, who's absolutely fantastic and uh, sorely underrated. And then Chevy Chase. And, yeah, there, it starts off with Chevy Chase, but then there's a big chunk where he's not in it. And, and you, if you're a huge Chevy Chase fan, just be aware that he did, like, four movies in 1980. Quality control wasn't really there.
4: No, of course not. Absolutely. was all over the place. Genius take a break jenny yeah
0: well think about it though because he was also di- i think this year is one that he did oh heavenly dog and he's only on the screen for like five minutes he gets killed not sort. not really he gets put in a coma and his mind goes into that of benji and he spends the whole week just doing a voiceover until the very end so that's it's just one of those where he got a good paycheck for two weeks of work oh
4: wow <laughs> that's
0: awesome yeah But uh, it seems like old time is from Neil Simon to bring up you know Bloxy Blues that's also from Neil Simon. It it feels like a stage play. It's very farcical, very fast with the jokes, and there's lots and lots of physical comedy. So if you like you know like uh, Broadway farces, um, I I would say if you like the producers,
4: it's very in that vein. Oh god, yes, that's exactly what I felt like. It was very quick witted. Um, Even that even that dinner scene at the end. Oh (laughs) my god! Where it's like. uh, it's like, can I please, it's like, I keep forgetting, what is it, What Byron, uh, what is he, keep, he keeps uh, mixing up uh, Goldie Hawn's husband's name. Oh, right, yeah. I, Ira, can I see you in the uh, kitchen, please? And then they get him another fight, and then she rings the bell, and he comes back, and Chevy Chase comes back all beaten up. You rang, and then he just falls over.
0: <laughs> and uh, T.K. Carter Ooh. is one of the, another one of those utility actors during the 80s who's basically the glue of these ensemble films, and he is uh, a recovering criminal, and he's trying to work for Goldie Hawn, and, and she's protecting him, but he's such a wise-ass, and, and then watching his observations of the madness that's going on around him is so amusing.
4: <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I felt like I felt like we were all in uh, his seat as the events uh, of the film unfolded. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we're seeing it, we're going to handle it and process it, and it's like, oh, well, it's like, I'll definitely... I'll definitely use this to my advantage like he's drinking up all the wine he's getting drunk that's why Chevy Chase takes over from uh, when it comes to serving the uh, chicken pepperoni dinner oh right yeah chicken there. pepperoni I
0: was trying to remember what that was it's more zesty this time you had more pepperoni
4: <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to look up that recipe to see if it's real and Rachel Ray at, uh, made it based off of this movie
0: no shit so from the movie wow <laughs> yeah so this was filmed in Monterey, and the opening scene where he's taking – the movie doesn't waste any time, by the way. He's just a writer at his house or something like that, and someone comes up, uh, puts a gun to his face and says, you're coming with us for a robbery. So they're at a gas station, and he's trying to signal to the guy that he's in trouble whatever. That gas station is between Monterey and uh, Salinas, and we used to pass it all the time. And when I saw it in the movie because I hadn't seen it in forever, and I go, holy shit, that's the gas station we pass every time. Um, that's the only thing I recognize, but I know it's shot in that area.
4: Oh, yeah, no, of course. I felt that. Uh, Again, I recognize it because, you know, growing up in the Bay Area my entire life, and, you know, from even my uh, dad mentioned it. Hell, he mentioned so many places that he'd been to uh, when we were watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about what place used to be this or this used to be a strip club. I'm like, God damn, Dad.
0: I didn't know your father lived <laughs> in
4: Los Angeles.
0: Wow. Was he an
4: actor? No, actually, my dad, um, he did travel around and do work uh, with my uncles. Oh, he uh, was were, in um, a mob,
0: wasn't he? You're going to tell yeah. me you're a mafioso. <laughs> oh,
4: God, no. My dad, shit. I love him with all the
0: shit. <laughs> all right, so it seems like old time is actually free on Crackle right now. It comes back. If you miss it, guess what? In a couple months, it'll be back. It keeps rotating in and out. Um they're highly entertaining, and, and the the
4: tension between Charles Grodin, Goldie Hawn, and Chevy Chase is so fun. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> even with all the dogs, even as he like tries to leave a room, all the dogs are still there. Almost, it's like, why are you barking at me? It's me. I live here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and then the court scene at the end. Oh, God. <laughs> Everything pretty much wrapped up in just one big old bundle. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a truly Uh. entertaining movie. Um, And and speaking of courts and jail, we got Stir Crazy as our next film. The biggest, I think, of all these movies. This movie was massive. And it formed, like, they were in Silver Street together, but this movie really formed Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor as the comedy duo of the 80s. And it's so fun. I I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I, I know now why it was such a big hit.
4: Oh, no, even watching it myself, I'm like, my God, I I even, I even myself love this movie. If I find it on Blu-ray, I'm buying it. The chemistry it's
0: is so strong, and, and I'm guaranteeing you that half of this was improv. Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder seem like they're stepping away from the script, and they're just winging it, and it's so damn funny.
4: Oh, God, I know. I could tell. Even like when they're in the jail cell, like, you know, Richard Pryor's trying to pretend like he's bad, you know, trying to feel <laughs> tough and whatnot, and then... And Gene Wilder just goes out all zany and, like, he knows karate or something. <laughs> or even later on when they're, like, uh, coming back from doing a lot of uh, yard work and they're really tired but they're trying not to show it. And then Gene Wilder's, like, doing his, like, uh, this, like, mockery of, like, you know, type G and whatnot and then he, like, sits and meditates and then as soon as the guard's gone he's like, oh, God. <laughs>
0: well, I love when they get the roommate. The roommate that was too big for any of them to be in there. There's no reason why he was in there. And... Um, <laughs> I think that's Big Van Vader. I'm not sure the wrestler. I think that's him. He's huge. Massive man. And they're all just like, we should just like, welcome to our partner seller, this is our new roommate. I can't breathe. Oh god.
4: <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to be he doesn't want to be left alone with him, even when uh Gene Wilder goes to talk to the warden.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, this is when he became a megastar. GM Wilder was already established. For maybe a decade or, so, or more because of uh, Willy Wonka and uh, the producers. But Richard Pryor had kind of bounced on the outside. He was more of a B-movie or a support. But this is when he became a bonafide A-lister. And it's a shame that it didn't go beyond the 80s. And, and You know, because he got sick. And, and, and there was too many flops and stuff like that. But uh, this is a great way to start off the decade because these two together... And, and, and here's the great thing about the movie is that the plot itself is amazing. Their escape is one of the most elaborate. You think Ocean's Eleven is complicated? This thing is laid out so meticulously with timing and spacing and stuff like that. It it, it was awe-inspiring
4: to watch them escape. Yeah. Oh, no. uh, Absolutely. No, of course. But at the end, uh, of course, it had a happy ending due to the fact that they actually caught the guys who committed the robbery from the bank they worked at. And they were going to be let go anyway, so it didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And Craig T. Nelson's
0: oh, a real oh. nasty villain in this. And uh, Barry Corbin is his boss. And I don't get it. Is Barry Corbin faking those teeth? Because those are disgusting. If he's l- starring in a movie, he can't have all that black on his teeth. I—he They must have put it on for him. Or sorry, he had Chew stuck in his gums because they're real nasty and he talks like this.
4: <laughs> I think that had to be part of the character. Yeah. Oh, uh, Erlen Van Litt is who uh, played that roommate. He was in... um. Running Man. He was the electric guy. What?
0: He's the opera singing guy in Running Man?
4: Yeah, he's, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's who he is. Wow. So Dynamo. he's not he's not a Big
0: Man Vader. So he's, so he's just an actor? He's in something else. Yeah, again. he was. He's in another movie. We know. What else is he in? Uh, I feel like he's in a Alone Steel- in the
4: Dark. What is it? Yeah, he's in Running Man.
0: Okay. No, 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 no. With uh, Stallone, not Schwarzenegger. I feel like he's in another movie. Oh, go ahead, you just tell me the popular movies he was in. I know it was Alone in the Dark, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Uh, Wanderers? No. No, he was only in four movies. What? Okay, never mind. Yeah, he was
4: only in four
0: movies. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, so Gavin that... Yeah,
4: I didn't.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, what else we have? Uh, that's basically it um, uh, of the movies that came out in 1980. They're comedies that you got to see, but I will recommend 9 to 5 and uh, How to Beat the High Cost of Living... Two very forward-thinking movies with strong
4: female leads. Um, have you seen either one of those movies? Nine to Five. That was with Dolly Dolly Parton and oh God, Lily Tomlin. And why am I blinking on the other person? Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda,
0: yes. Taking on, I don't know why I blinked on her. Yeah, taking Jane on Fonda. the glorious evil Snidely, like I feel like he's twirling his mustache. as Dabney Coleman, who is one of the greatest villains
4: of the eighties. Oh, God, yes. In any kind of comedy, you'll see you'll see him in a villainous role.
0: Yes. Well, a- no, sort of. He's in the other movie, too, which is amazing, is how to be the high cost of living he has a small role in. And he's not that sleazy, but uh, that one is about a heist. And it's the recession, and these three women find themselves in a place where they're all in deep shit. They can't pay alimony, they're getting kicked out of their house, they have no jobs. So they decide to rob uh, the, the big bingo event they're going to have at this mall and uh, how elaborate it is, but they're so incompetent. They, they planned it out well, but they're not good thieves. So everything keeps going wrong, but somehow they miraculously fix it. And it's Jane Curtin. Um, oh, the other lady from uh, Kate Nally. Uh, Susan St. James. And... Um, oh, she was in King Kong. Damn it. Uh, uh, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lange, thank you. Um, and I, I think this movie is really fun it's, sometimes it's free like on Voodoo but uh,
4: it's pretty crackerjack. I really enjoy it oh for sure I'll have to look into that one. but yeah 9 to 5 is one I'm definitely familiar with so it almost seems somewhat similar
0: yes except, well, you know, yeah stuff. yeah because it's three women trying to get revenge in one way or another or trying to make their way but this theirs is more focused on Danny Coleman whereas in How to Beat the High Cost of Living it's more focused on just saving their lives with you know the money they're going to rob
4: Absolutely. Huh. It almost sounds like... They don't, did, wasn't there a similar movie like that that came out in 2008? Uh, Diane Keaton, Queen Latifah, and Eddie Holmes? Yeah, wow. I'm shocked you knew that.
0: Your knowledge... You said someone earlier that I was shocked by. When you said Jack Albertson, I was like, you were born in 1989. I barely know who that is. How the fuck do you know who Jack Albertson
4: is? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did watch a lot of TV, and I watched a lot of E specials on, like, you know, some comedians and who they knew. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and if
0: anybody knows, he's from uh, just Chico and the Man.
4: Oh, of course. Tell everyone who did not know, yes. And, of course, he was from Willy Wonka in the top three. He played Grandpa Joe.
0: He was? Oh, he was! He was a- oh, my gosh, I never connected those words. I've seen <laughs> Willy Wonka once because the Oompa Loompas fucked my head up. <laughs>
4: Oh yeah, but they did have such wonderful
0: talk. Shut up, don't you start on me, buddy <laughs> No, um I won't, I won't But Kenji Oh, okay, I thought maybe you, you disappeared on me, boy you, you, Come back to me um, that's it about, uh, those are the only 80s, con- uh, 1980 comedies that I found that were really worth watching. Uh, I tried finding Melvin and Howard. I heard that's really, really good. It's a true story about Howard Hughes and how he tried to give his money to this, this schlub who's trying to make it by, um, it's, uh, Jason Robards and, uh, Paula Matts and it was directed by Jonathan Demme, but I couldn't find it. It critically acclaimed, got nominated for Oscars. I've told it's really good comedy, but I cannot find it. So sadly, that will not be part of this episode. But uh, let us know if you if you like the movie, and uh, we'll try to find it later down the road.
4: I know we will do. You will search high and low. All and right, will, so but hmm? there are some places we won't go. There are some places we will not go just to find a goddamn out to the fucking movie. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'm not willing to pay the price. It's like, how much is that? Shut up, a bitch. Um, just a thumb just a thumb that's all <laughs> you, have,
0: you have another thumb <laughs> um, that is it for this segment of the episode so we'll jump into another segment uh, just coming up soon with another guest and uh, Jacob thank you very much we don't have to say goodbye we don't have to plug anything it's it's Hit Rewind Podcast that's all you need to know Jacob rock out
4: thank you very much see y'all another evening you didn't say it namaste Ah. Namaste and good luck. My bad. Sorry. Thank you. I got distracted.
0: Line, please. No. <laughs> be excellent to each other, everybody. Uh, and we'll have a commercial break and we'll be right back.
3: I'm not as bad as I was. Not
0: as good as I
3: could be. At least that's what I keep telling me. Just to try to stay sane. If I want to die happy. But who wants to die happy It's not as good as it sounds Don't forget that you're dead All my old bad habits They used to keep me alive Now I don't know what happened I gotta put them aside Someone threw a switch And I threw a fit Now I gotta be a new man Just to keep the old one from dying Not as bad as I was Not as good as I could be At least that's what I keep telling me If I wanna stay sane If I wanna die happy But who wants to die happy? It's not as good as it sounds Don't forget that you're dead Which do I like better Hungry and alive or dead and satisfied in time thinking about the time that I've wasted if I can't kill me maybe no one else can too I keep it on my mind all the things that I've tasted all the luck that I've misread whatever lies up ahead the best of it was time with you not as bad as I was Not as good as I could be At least that's what I keep telling thee. Just to try and stay sane If I want to die happy well Who wants to die happy? It's not as good as it sounds Don't forget that you're Dead